This is Unfilter, episode 260, for November 22nd, 2017. What we're seeing here is the cableization of the internet. <clears throat> if you like your cable company, and the way in which they choose which channels you can see, and the way in which they continue increasing their prices, you're going to love what happens under this repeal, because suddenly the people making the rules are the networks. Welcome. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our friends here in the United States and the territories. Welcome again to another edition of Unfiltered Jupiter Broadcastings. What's the matter? Uh, I'm sorry. My my traffic wasn't prioritized Mm -hmm. there. Sorry about that. Oh, did you buffer? Yeah, I buffered Mm, a little bit. I'm sorry. Could you say it again? Jupiter Broadcastings. Chase. Chase. Oh, man. Let me hit play pause. Here. There we go. Weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chase, and over there is Mr. Chris. Hey, hey buddy. buddy. It's good to be with you on this high-fidelity connection. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Good thing. Yeah. Right yeah. now, we don't have to worry <laughs> about paying that prioritized traffic. Yeah, so this week, we are going to talk about net neutrality. Um, we're gonna we're probably going to spend the bulk of the show talking about net neutrality. We do have a one other like major cyber story that we'll talk about before we get there, because it's sort of the most Late-breaking news, I guess. Okay. So we'll talk about that. Then um, we'll dig into a little bit of Russia investigation stuff. And the patrons have demanded it. Is that is that is it? Patrons. Pa- okay, patrons. The patrons. Or patrons. 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 But not patrons. Patrons. Well, whatever you want to call them. They That's have the awesome supporters of our show. Okay. They have demanded that we talk about Yemen. So we're going to bring everybody up to speed on Yemen. We'll do a quick dive into the pervert parade and we'll wrap it all up on a high note that may change everything and guaranteed to make you smile. Oh, How about that's that? That's nice. How about that? I like that. So, yeah, let's start with Uber. Who covered up a hack just with fifty-seven million dollars? What? Tonight, with breaking news and reports that ride-sharing giant Uber has, for a year, been concealing a massive cyber breach that exposed the user data, including email, phone numbers, and addresses of over fifty million customers and drivers. The company doesn't believe the stolen information was used, but what it did, instead of going public with the breach, is raising some serious questions. Yeah, it didn't tell anyone. Our business correspondent, Jolene Kent, is here with late details coming in. Jolene, that's a lot of customers. What do we know? It is indeed, and this is a major bombshell. Not only was Uber targeted in that massive hack, the company then concealed it for more than a year. Here's what we know. Hackers stole critical personal data of 57 million Uber users. That includes riders and 600,000 drivers. Personal information of passengers, including names, emails, and phone numbers were accessed. And for those drivers, their driver's license numbers were stolen, too. Uber says no social security numbers were taken and no information about trips. But instead of reporting it to regulators last October, as Uber now says is required by law, they paid $100,000 ransom to two hackers behind it. Oh, I thought it was more than that. That's not mad. That's not, I mean, that's pocket change for Uber. Oh, yeah, that's easy. Especially, you know, when you have your customer and your uh, independent contractor base right over there. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> totally Keep fine. it quiet. Now, Uber's now notified federal authorities and fired the chief security officer. And it's just the latest hack of your information, Lester, for major companies, including 145 million people's this data. From- needs to get to a point where this is criminal. I mean, because obviously, 
paying fines that are small don't doesn't make a difference. Uh, you know, and it's and it goes down to Equifax. It goes down to all these companies. Uh, Target, every company that's been loose with your data. Yeah, the the chief technical officer or their security officer gets fired. Sure, that's great. But in the meantime, we're the ones holding the lurch because no one's really being held accountable on this. Stuff. What happens with these stories, and then and it's the same thing that happened with this Uber story, is you were never going to hear about it until the CEO got ousted and yeah. a new CEO came in, and the CEO played a political game and said, "I got to, I got to tell somebody about this because if it comes out once I'm the CEO, I'll get blamed for covering it up." So the C, the new CEO makes a political decision. Hmm. And if it wasn't for the new CEO, we never would have found out about this. That's really the – and that is the thing that happens across the industry. Oh, yeah. And this is one of those situations where things linger for long periods of time. We don't know. And then it comes out that our data has been leaked six months ago. You know, it happened – like I said, it happened with Target. Remember, things oh, were yes. delayed for a long period of time. Oh, and yes. long, Yeah. So – You know what You know what bothers me gotta ab- be criminal. about the way that the media covers cybersecurity is – and I'm, I'm giving them the word. You know, we've given them the word. Well, they can take cyber. That's fine. But what bothers me about the way they cover it is they try to convert it into physical world ideas and terms. And and they can't really wrap their head around the true worldwide nature of the network. I, I think you're missing, though. Who's their audience? Right. Exactly. And, I know. And, and they, and they I have know that's to. the restriction. No, that's I know. That's the restriction. Huge restriction. But the problem is I think is it's one thing to get the right information and then package it in a way that is palatable to your audience – that's one thing. Right. It's another thing to go into the story with the bias that misinforms how you cover it. And so I'm going to let's play this clip here. This is an NBC report and they go inside a Russian troll factory. And the problem is it just reeks with all of the standard media propaganda things about how crime works on the internet. And it's it's such a child's version of it. I'll take here is we this go. It? This is the building? Yes, 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 of course. The troll factory. Yes. Tonight. It's always a building. They always have a building. If it's an advanced persistent threat group, if it's a if it's a group that's because named after a Because it's physical, because it ties a physical, you know, look and feeling to it. Like you see that physical object, you but have a that's physical not reaction. how it works. I know. Oh, no, no, we know that. I know, but see. The, the, but that's what they're trying to the, paint a picture. The fundamental flaw in, in the thinking here is that your enemy is contained in one physical location. Please. If you are viewing the enemy and yeah. that means, then you are going to be fundamentally devastated by them. The sad, the sad part about that though is somebody watching at home is going to go well all you got to do is just bomb that building it takes yeah. care of everything exactly is this it this is the building yes 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 of course the troll factory yes tonight a look inside russia's disinformation campaign from 26 year old vitaly bespalov one of dozens of 20 year olds churning out fake stories in what he calls a factory of lies. Did you create fake accounts? Yes, he said. This is also part of the formula. You always get one of the former trolls. And that we've done, we've covered dozens of these stories over the years. You always get one of the former trolls to come out and blow the lid on everything. As Bespalov worked inside Russia's Internet Research Agency for three months in late 2014. He'd write up to 20 fake articles a day, spinning the war in Ukraine. That article would then be posted by a blogger and then be spread by someone in the social media department? 
That was one way, he says, or bloggers would write fake posts and he'd quote them in the articles. Facebook told Congress Russian trolls posted 80,000 items from January 2015. And this is another thing that all of these stories are always reliant upon, is they'll give you huge numbers. It's, it was seen by one point million eyes. It was, it was 80,000 posts. And they make it sound like it's just this incredible number because if that was money – or if that was hours, or if that was amount of people, that would be a shocking number. And so our dumb monkey brains go, holy shit, 80,000? Right. Yeah. But of course, in terms of Facebook, where things are calculated in the billions, 80,000 is nothing. Insignificant. They don't ever mention that either. No. It's kind of a typical piece. Um, but it's, it's, it's circulating more and more. ABC had one, NBC had one, now CBS has had one, and that was NBC's right there. Um, but I don't think that's really the thing we're here to talk about today. No. What we're here to talk about today is, is the thing that you and I can't help ourselves but, but talk about yep. offline all the time, and that's frickin' net neutrality. So let's see if you and I agree with what this definition of net neutrality is, okay? All right. Here we go. What is net neutrality? Today, FCC Chairman Ajit Pai shared a draft order rolling back what's called net neutrality. It's a plan that will affect every internet Can user we pause for a in minute? this. Ease. What's with the music? I, I think um, part of the problem is with covering net neutrality, and there's very. Well, what would you guess? Because I have a theory, but I mean, if you're adding music to something, say, is this coming out of the top of a break or something? Picture, no, just, um, you know, that's a good. I got this a while ago, so I don't actually remember at what point in the broadcast it was. That's a great question because that would make a difference. You're right. Yeah, but um, because usually when I hear music, backgrounder in a, in a, here for me is yeah. almost all of the U.S. clips I have on net neutrality from all U.S. stations have music. Huh. And so what do you do when you're trying to make something less boring? Like you're doing a talking face video on YouTube. You add a little music. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. I think the U.S. networks are afraid to talk about net neutrality in part because it's a boring as hell topic. In fact, I'll play another clip here in a moment and you can see the host is struggling with the fact that the audience probably doesn't care at all. Right. So I think the music is their way of trying to keep people interested. And I guess the ultimate question is why? Why don't people care? Why don't – I mean that's one thing I don't understand. Because it's about computers. It's about computers. Yeah, they'll care when all of a sudden that their internet bill gets split up in four different ways from Sunday because yeah. what they'll they have, they'll get. have no idea why it happened. Right. What is net neutrality? Today, FCC Chairman Ajit Pai shared a draft order rolling back what's called net neutrality. It's a plan that will affect every internet user in this country. That means you. So let's take a look at what net neutrality actually is. It is the idea that all data must be treated equally. Proponents say the principle supports free speech on the Internet by preventing Internet service providers like AT&T, Verizon, Charter and Comcast, the parent company of MSNBC, from speeding up or slowing down traffic on their network. The idea has been around since the early 2000s, but it wasn't until 2015 when the FCC used the Communications Act to pass rules making the concept policy and giving the commission more oversight on telecommunications companies. Now, Chairman Pai wants to undo all of that. So what happens if he is successful? So let's stop there because I want to get a little I want to get a little pie in this episode. Mm, Um, Cherry pie, pumpkin pie. This is an interview with him. 
And I left the beginning of the interview on here because you can hear the host starts by defining what net neutrality is, but then has to walk back a rationale as to why repealing it's a good idea because she's about to interview oh, the oh, chairman. She, so she is uh, – so she, this is a uh, right-leaning network? Yeah. Okay. Another big story to bring you right now, net neutrality. FCC <laughs> chairman Ajit Pai is following through on his plan to repeal these government regulations that – were put back into place, uh, the rules known as net neutrality, prevent Internet service providers such as Comcast, AT&T, Verizon from favoring their own digital services and slowing down those of the rivals. I know it sounds really complicated, but... No, actually, that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty easy. And actually, you look at their new Fox Translator, the idea that no restrictions should be imposed on content, platforms, or communications equipment for Internet usage. That's almost embarrassing that they're trying to argue against that. It's almost embarrassing. Well, because, Chris, you got to realize that ever since this was put into place, it's really stifled uh, innovation uh, in the the sector. (laughs) Yeah. Services and slowing down those of the rivals. I know it sounds really complicated, but I promise he's going to make it easy for you. Ajit Pai believes that these rules are discouraging uh, basically investment in new networks and being able to provide faster online access in remote locations is pretty important stuff right now. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One thing does not have to do with the other. Got it. He joins me now. And Ajit, congrats. This is what you wanted to do. Congrats. 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 Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, thanks, and it's great to be with you again. We should say uh, all that's really happened at the point of this recording is that a essential uh, um, assassination date has been set. December 14th, right? Yeah. That's the the day that net neutrality dies. Um, For all intents and purposes, it has not actually happened yet. And, you know, and, and by the way, even if it does get voted on, you will be a certain that there will be not just one, maybe two or three... 400 lawsuits <laughs> that will that will happen so probably yeah trish i'm looking at the word net neutrality on our screen right now and i'm sure people are sort of glazing over explain you see that oh my god Did you hear that that's their that is their concern that the audience gives t- almost I, no fucks about or, this or 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 i'm gonna throw a little shade and maybe more bias on this maybe they're trying to make uh they're they're insinuating that i'm stupid they're insinuating Americans are well, stupid. Both. They're yeah. doing both. Yeah, they're doing they're both. They're insinuating that their audience couldn't give any fucks, and they're also insinuating that you're too stupid to understand, so you need to explain to you like a baby. Oh, oh, well, you th- know, explain that you know this is not a good thing. Right. Thanks, and it's great to be with you again, Trish. <laughs> I'm looking at the word <laughs> net neutrality on our screen yeah. right now, and I'm sure people are sort so of glazing syllables. over. Explain what that is, because you, I think, do this better than anyone, sir. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Better than anyone. Yeah. Well, thanks. It involves a basic concept of how the Internet is governed. Do you want it to be governed by engineers and entrepreneurs? He's not answering the question. Or do you want it to be run by bureaucrats and lawyers here in Washington? Uh, Starting in the Clinton administration, uh, there was a uh, consensus on light-touch regulation. We would let the market, as opposed to micromanaging regulators, decide how it was governed. That changed in 2015 under the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. And all I've proposed to do is simply return to that bipartisan consensus that served us so well for 20 years in favor of the market. In favor of the market, in favor – okay, so that's the argument for repealing net neutrality is it allows for innovation in the market. Now, here would be the counterargument by the FCC uh, – by by the previous FCC chairman, um, Wheeler, who was Obama's FCC chairman and uh, laid down the net neutrality regulation. Which, full disclosure, by the way, when we all saw that he was – Yeah, we thought he was going to be a – We thought he was going to be a shill because of the fact that he was a former lobbyist for those groups. 
And so when he got in there, everybody was worried. And then all of a sudden he was like, holy crap, all pro consumer, you know, and like for, for us. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, to, so the recap here is if you if you have the FCC with its 1930s style regulations applied to the Internet, that you'll suffocate innovation. Now, when they say the Internet, it's also important to keep in mind that they're talking about the wired Internet. They're not talking about cellular Internet where the vast majority of consumers are probably online now. They're talking about your wired home connection, and more importantly, they're talking about the backbone connections, which is really where the money is. It's not about you and your stupid DSL line. It's about level three. It's about Amazon. It's about those bastards at Netflix. That's what this is really about. You're going to get fucked too, don't worry, but it's really about them. And so um, there was some shit going down during the Obama administration that they got whiffed to, that they decided we're going to put some regulations in place to slow this roll. And now the guy that did that, Wheeler, is going public with his his side of why we should have net neutrality. So you have unhinged businesses, let them innovate freely, and now here's the counter-argument. Out strong against Hello, this Emily. potential rollback here. You've said that it is shameful, that it is a sellout. Why? Well, you just have to listen to that explanation that Chairman Pai just had. Let's, let's think about this. Transparency is the solution. So um, all that is necessary to do something evil is to tell you that I'm about to do something evil. That doesn't make any sense. And, and then, okay, what do you do once you have that information? Two-thirds of the households in America have no other choice as to where they're going to get their internet. So this is, to, to go out and claim that somehow this is uh, some kind of consumer protection is, is a fraudulent representation. They say their proposal is more fair, more pro-consumer. What makes you think it's, a, it's actually the opposite? Well, I mean, in the name of consumer protection, they say they're not going to protect consumers. In the name of better regulation, they say they're going to turn it over to the FTC. But yet an FTC commissioner, Commissioner McSweeney, this afternoon tweeted that even if they do that, the FTC doesn't have any authority. They're just running away from their responsibilities. Okay, so what do you think so far? So, so far, I think Mr. Wheeler is spot on and correct. And, you know... I also heard an interview with with Pi earlier. I, I, it was a thirty minute interview that he had with Reason, I think, and it was one of those situations where, yeah, he's talking about, well, you know, the FTC is going to be there to handle complaints, and you know, there there hasn't been any issues before before we put this this uh, you know regulation in place. I guess what he doesn't remember is you know the whole. Uh, scandal with Comcast and the BitTorrent situation, you know, mm. where they were slowing and throttling traffic. Uh, there's been many instances, and then all of a sudden they said no and no and no, and finally came out and said yes. And Mr. Wheeler is 100% correct when it comes to competition. It's not like a cell phone provider where we have today, where, you know, we live in an area where we have three or four different providers where we don't like what we're doing, say, with T-Mobile, for example. We could switch to Verizon or we could switch AT&T or switch to somebody else, right? But if you live in an area of the country where, say, for example, the local telephone company had decided you know, they don't want to invest in their copper anymore and the only other option for 
usable high speed internet is Comcast. Yep. You have no competition. You yep. can't go anywhere else. Yep. That is how it is now. And, and now basically what he's doing is going to hand the keys to these companies where, you know, you look at a nationwide map, you know, Comcast has carved off their area of the country. Spectrum has carved off their area of the country. So my thoughts on this are are like, are, are really, they're fractured across a whole spectrum. So yeah. I, I want to start with uh, one of my go-tos in situations like this is go to history. And what have we done historically? If if you look at The Master Switch by Tim Wu, if you've read that book, you you know where this is going. Unfortunately, you you, you already know where this is going. And you have to look back at companies that, um, well, look at industries, actually. Look at industries like the power utility industry and water and how fundamental those are and the, and the, and the phone lines. And if you think the Internet is more equivalent to power, phone, and water than it is your cable TV service, then I think you probably fall on the line. You fall on the line of they should be considered common carrier. It should be common carrier status, i.e. the FCC should regulate it. If you feel like the Internet is more like cable television or your wireless provider, then you probably fall on the side that the FTC should be governing it and regulating it and – my my mind on this is fractured because I don't want the FCC having any involvement with the content that Jupiter Broadcasting produces. We're getting dive-bombed, Chase. Yep, they already well, heard us. Uh, but at the same time, um, this will undoubtedly negatively impact Jupiter Broadcasting, without question. And if this was five years in the future, I bet we wouldn't be able to launch a network with video. In fact, I'm really worried about Scale Engine. I'm really worried. What does this mean for Scale Engine? How are they going to be able to? Do, how are they going to be able to survive in a world where net neutrality means that on the back end, really large content providers are all linking up business deals to give each other priority access? How is a company like Scale Engine going to survive, or Jupiter Broadcasting? I don't really see it. Uh, we will. Jupiter Broadcasting will make it because we'll have to ride on the backs of your uh, silo services like YouTube and Stitcher. And Google Play. Yeah, but you got to realize, Chris, if you want to upload to those services, you'll probably have to pay more. Well, or... and I also will have to follow their content guidelines, and I'll have to make sure that I'm within their realm of what they consider appropriate speech. There's going to be all kinds of um, restrictions that would be placed on a show like Unfilter. So I'm absolutely against the FCC and more regulation because it generally leads to a worse situation. But at the same time, I'm and by the also, way, this isn't more regulation. This is less regulation. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's existing regulation. Right. It's a regulation that's existed since 2015. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I acknowledge that we live in a reality where monopolies control these networks. They generally have their own agendas, like um, maybe a TV service. Comcast owns NBC, as an example. And so they have a secondary agenda. And the primary one is not the Internet. And fundamentally, the Internet represents a sharing of knowledge, human knowledge and connectivity and it's, it, it fundamentally normalizes knowledge. It gives access to communications and knowledge to everyone that can get a TCP so, IP connection to the Internet. And that is a bigger deal than Comcast profits or anybody else's slicing up of the Internet. The bigger picture here is human knowledge because the Internet is the one fundamental fucking plane leveler that comes in and levels everybody on the same plane. I can have the same presence that Leo Laporte and CNN have on YouTube. People can choose which which one they 
they prefer. And I don't have to worry that I have to be on some sort of baby internet where everything's slower and it costs against your minutes. I don't have to worry about that right now. And once that is a reality, then the companies like the major networks that have full access to these networks will be the ones that unquestionably pull ahead. And it will limit our available spectrum of information. And that, in the scope of humanity, is a goddamn travesty. So there's a couple things. First, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here for a moment. And I, and I, before 2015, before these net neutrality rules were put into position, we didn't really have a, a tiered situation. We, we, we for, for, for consumers. Can and, I pause? Yeah. Just because I mean, yeah. you're right. I, if one thing I do want to make clear is I understand that net neutrality, in a sense, is a reaction to something that hasn't happened yet, that could happen. And right. generally, to regulate preemptively before something has happened is not a good idea. And I'm almost always against that. Right. And so now we've we've seen the the clever marketing taglines from from Comcast on Twitter and uh, and other major companies saying we will we will treat all traffic the same we will you know we we believe in an open internet blah 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 we've seen them we've seen the the sponsored tweets we've yeah seen I'm the, sure it'll be like that stuff. for a good year or two right so it's one of those situations where no doubt if this does happen in December. We, you know, if this is something that you truly believe in. Now, this is something that I believed in. I actually uh, wrote my uh, representatives. Now, my representatives in, in my state uh, are, are left-leaning. They're, they're Democrats. So I, it's one of those things where I didn't have to really pull hairs to convince them that this is an idea that, that they should uh, believe in. <laughs> but I did it anyway. And the reason why I did it anyway is one of those things, you know, hey, I, you know, you support, you know, or at in the inverse, you know, you try to convince somebody. But when this happens in December, okay, there's something that's happening next year. It's called, you know, the midterm elections in the United States where, you know, a lot of seats will be in play both in the House and Senate. And this is where, you know, you put your money where your mouth is and you get out there and you vote and you make you make a difference. And a lot of people are going to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It's already against me. No, it's not that. It's just that that's what people always say. And I yet know. here we are. We're, 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 we're here because people don't vote. But we've always been saying go out and vote. If you don't like it, go out and vote and nothing changes. Or get involved and do something. Because so, right now – Let me ask you this. But, is, is, should we instead as a community come together and find a technological way around this? Some sort of P2P system, something that uses WebRTC, something that uses BitTorrent, something that uses Tor, something that gets around this shit. Because at the end of the day, we're working with an IP network here. There's got to be a way around this. Yeah, but the thing is, though, as soon as you sign up for that internet service, you, you're, you're agreeing to terms yeah, in a contract. that's true. Yeah, that's true. So you, you, you can't – They'll get you, you on violation They'll of get terms. you on that. I, the, the way around this is creating your own ISP – you know, getting your own local municipality. And I know there's a lot of protectionist laws in place. You get those overturned. So, because okay, if, if he talks about free market and he talks about, you know, hey, you know, let the market do the thing, well, let the market happen. All right, dude, well, let me devil, devil's advocate your ass here for a second. Fair enough. So, net neutrality uh, regulation was passed in response to nothing that actually had really happened yet. In fact, if you want to talk about something egregious, it's damn fucking T Mobile with their uh, freeloading where you can watch YouTube and Google Play for free and doesn't count against your minutes. That is, that is actually more insidious than anything else because consumers love that shit. Oh, man, I have, a, I have a 10 gig cap, but I can watch YouTube unlimited. Well, YouTube has also said. Or not YouTube, sorry. It's Netflix. It's anything no. that the guy in the leather First jacket off, T-Mobile, decides. T-Mobile has said 
they are not going to restrict anybody from signing for any company to sign up for that service to do that. Are you seriously? You they, don't well, see how this? What, no, but I'm just saying that's what they is, said. This is exactly the problem, though. They are tearing the internet. They. GeekGamer.tv is yeah. not on that list. No. So if I am a T-Mobile subscriber, it is free for me to watch Netflix and YouTube, and I implicitly pay out my ass to watch Geek Gamer. You're comfortable with that? No. No, I'm not. But I'm just, the... I'm just. But what I'm saying though is, what I'm saying here is, first off, T-Mobile has said any any provider I... can can jump on board. But really, let's, like, do like you think I, you and I, I could? I, I, well, do you think we could legitimately? Do you think Jupiter Broadcasting or Geek Gamer TV could go? Have we tried? <laughs> no way. I don't even know how you would do that. Oh, I don't know either. See, the problem is, is the the, the it, it's like free speech. It's like the internet should be this common playing field, and it's your merits. That get you the traffic, not the tiering agreement that you have. Right. Because the thing is, is the tiering agreement stuff is artificial. If you just go by what the technology fundamentally enables, this tiered, structured, fast lane shit is a is an artificial quality of service style limitation that we are creating. So th- I am really just from a technology standpoint, I'm kind of against it. But I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a moment here sure. because I do totally see the other side here. And it's not necessarily the innovation argument because I feel like innovation – in wired ISP services in the United States has died years ago, net neutrality or not. And let's not even, that's not even a debate. That's just the reality. Look at the BIOS disaster here in, in Washington oh, as yeah. an example, right? Yeah. Well, here's the argument, Chase, that I think that is really difficult to disagree with if you look at it rationally. Net neutrality was a response to something that hadn't happened. There's no, there was no boogeyman. There was no tiered... Uh, speed there, there, really... there, there are one-off situations right. that have happened right. that people caught Comcast yes. and other companies yes. on. Yes, yes. Yeah. exactly. Right. There were a couple, of, but those may have been resolved without any with the FCC without the FCC stepping in and creating the net neutrality regulations. They could have been resolved through other means, public pressure, etc. Um, and I'm and so we are all in without much questioning on the FCC, the people who who have I think set back American television a decade over. G- over Janet Jackson's nipple, they're going to be in charge of the internet now because of something that didn't actually happen yet, because of because of something that might well, happen. Well, and, and now they won't be. They're going to wash their hands of it. And go to a, a, to, a, to the FTC. Now, if all, the, the only thing that seems to be missing here is the FTC's ability to actually enforce anything. If, if they were given the power to make some kind of enforcement, would that not perhaps be the better body to manage this situation? Well, essentially, let the ISPs attempt to innovate with like the T-Mobile stuff that you're apparently a fan of. No, I, I, I know, was I'm just kidding. Give the counter argument. I know you were. Yeah, I'm yeah. totally kidding. Yeah, but you know, but let ISPs attempt to innovate there, and then when they go too far, the FTC steps in and says, "Hey, fuck you, stop that." Right. Unfortunately, yeah, the FTC, like you said, they've already come out and said they don't have any teeth. That has to be the thing that changes. Right. And and this, and this, and the other thing though. Is the reasoning behind him doing this? You know, he's saying, you know, yeah, yeah, is you know, there's been no innovation, which is very shady. Uh, the the pure ignorance of all the positive comments, all the overwhelming comments of people, fellow Americans on both sides of the aisles who want to keep things the way they are. Because here's one of the inherent issues, right? If you have a company that, say, doesn't like what Jupiter Broadcasting is putting out because of the opinions, say, on Linux, for example, saying, you know, no, I, I don't like that distro. We're going to throttle. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna turn the faucet down a little bit. You have no recourse. None. Right. Especially a small business. Right. And the, here's the bigger picture item, though. 
So like take our take our businesses out of it. If you have a country where they don't have this so let's go down let's go down the possibility uh possibility road here. Let's go like a few years down the road where things are a little more cut up, a little more tiered. It's a little more cableized. How uh, how is that not going to stagnate innovation in the US? And countries that don't have this tiered system where everybody just gets a great fast pipe, they're going to be way ahead of us. I- ironically, you look at the companies or, or sorry, the the countries that have tiered the internet and uh someone uh, posted a link in the chat room for uh, New Zealand. Those companies, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, where do those companies innovate from? Here. Right, but that's not going to be the case. If, that won't happen anymore. If you so, can't, if you're a little small startup. And, and those companies were able to innovate and start up and grow yes. without any restrictions right. on the internet. Right. Now with there being restrictions. This is my point. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say is we will not only fall behind in the innovation curve, yeah. we will be last. We will entrench, we'll be in the back of the pack. We will entrench these duopolies and monopolies that we have. And the little guys that are the new innovators, the ones that are actually creating jobs, the ones that are in this IP economy, the only thing – IP and weed are like – the and, and, and natural resources are what the U.S. makes now. And if we're going to shut down the IP industry, well, then they better start so, legalizing pot everywhere. So then a, the, the potential spin on this – is you know we have seen for example Google, uh, we've seen Microsoft. You for, won't see another one. Well, no, hold on. They're going to own let, it for let, the next let, decade. Hold on, let me finish my thought. I'm fired up, ready to go. I know you are. Uh, we see Google, for example, lo- uh, you know, rolling out their fiber in certain areas. We we see Microsoft, for example, using a white space signal down in Puerto Rico to, to uh, spread broadband and that sort of thing. Just to play a little twist on this, if you start seeing companies doing the tier tier thing, you're going to see more. Local municipality ISPs pop up because those things, those laws are being struck down left and right already. Um, maybe. Here's the insidious thing, Chase. And I'm sorry to interrupt. And then maybe Google will say, you know, we're going to have our yeah. fiber and yeah. it's going to be 100% yeah. open. Maybe. Maybe. And it'll be available for a limited market. And then every single thing, everything you beat off to, everything you read about, every social post you ever play, you ever post will be sucked up by Google. Isn't that a wonderful future? Now, here's the other thing about this is it's going to be more insidious. It's going to be slow and steady. It's going to happen while we're all distracted. We'll be talking about something else completely unrelated, and all of a sudden in the background, the main core networks will start charging another dollar a month for each consumer that Netflix uses. And they're going to go to Amazon and say, we need another dollar. It's just a dollar. It's not a big deal. Of course, when you times it across, across 300 million, all of a sudden it's quite a big deal. And that's where it's going to start. It's going to start there. And those companies, they're big enough that they can afford it. So they're going to absorb that cost because it's going to give them a business advantage. Yeah. Because it's going to be a business proposition that they can't ignore. And they're going to get an advantage. And it's going to all happen behind closed doors. It's, there's not going to be an article yeah. on The Verge. There's not going to be some – If you can even get to it. It's, it's going to be something that just happens while we're all talking about fucking Justin Bieber. And the thing is, is it's going to, that's going to go on for years. And then it won't be until all of that has happened that they come for us. And at that point, we'll have no option because more of these duopolies and monopolies will be in place. There'll be less cho- choice. And the wireless networks are already this way. My home connection is an AT&T MiFi or a T-Mobile fi- MiFi or a Sprint MiFi, depending on the day, because they all have different limitations or they all have different yeah. 
throttles and I jump around and I look for public Wi-Fi constantly. And I'm I oh, am, oh, I'm already living the net neutrality future because I'm living on wireless at home. So what do we do to change it? I mean, what do we do now? I mean, because obviously Reddit's mobilized. We, other people are mobilized. But some sort of mesh peer-to-peer networking that is an encrypted protocol that they can't pack, they can't break apart, they can't determine what it's it is. It's got to plug in somewhere. Yeah, it's got to plug in somewhere, and, and you know, unfortunately, unless you're your own local ISP, you're going to be plugging into Comcast, you're going to be plugging into Verizon, you're going to be plugging in somewhere. Well, and won't won't it be interesting if maybe you know five ten years from now that uh, entrepreneurs that want to start a business on the internet go somewhere else? Maybe they go to Canada, maybe they go to the UK, maybe yeah. they go to Russia. I don't, you know, could Sweden, you imagine Germany, whatever? Could you imagine if that's what has to happen? Is if it doesn't, if these small, if, you know, Google 2.0 or Facebook 2.0 doesn't, can't launch in the U.S. because of this or the next media company. I mean, I will say this. I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong that where if this goes through and it happens and, and after all the court battles, this happens and sticks that, you know, I hope I'm wrong that things are OK. And, you know, because we haven't seen the tiered uh, situation happen here in the United States yet. You know what? I'll put it this way. But whoever's first, oh my God, they're going to get hit. I might be wrong, but and if you want to argue with us, I encourage you first, please read The Master Switch, The Rise and Fall of Information Empires. It analyzes strategic maneuvers of today's, today's great information powers and kind of compares them to all of the major industries that have come in the past. Radio, television, cable TV, the telegram. There is a historical commonality through all through all of them. Tim Wu's The Master Switch. I'll put a link in the show notes. You should really read this book or listen to this book first, then come back to the net neutrality debate, because it's the thing that really changed my mind on this whole thing is I, I normally would be against the FCC having anything to do with the Internet, except for the fundamental fact that. Common carrier status is the only thing that will prevent the Tim Wu, Tim Wu future. And on December 14th, we're shooting that in the head. You know, one of the things that bothered me even today, like even like with bandwidth caps and that sort of thing that Comcast is doing right now and some other main ISPs, is the meter, is the bit meter that isn't regulated. You know, I mean, they're the ones saying, well, this is what you've used. But, you know, you have no appeals process, you know, an official appeals process, you know, I've seen many articles where, you know, you have people monitoring their own Internet usage and they haven't used as much as they have. These are the kind of things when you have the Internet that is basically a utility now, where it is a vital piece of your commerce, of, of people's of, information, right. health I mean, information, I mean, when you communication. Mo- when you move somewhere, when you move, say, into a house or an apartment, you look for power, you look for water and garbage. And then you look for internet because it's a re- it's a needed required thing in your living, and you know this is one of those situations where don't just sign a petition, don't just contact. You got to stay and be yeah. engaged. Don't just upvote or like a post. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm now I'm lucky where I live. You know, I live in a state and a place where they, they believe in this kind of net neutrality thing and they want it to happen. Actually, Washington State was one of the states that wanted to create their own privacy protections once the FCC ditched those. Remember that a few months ago? Mm-hmm. So if you live in a state that is against the, the norm, you know, instead of getting that form response and going and throwing your hands up in the air and going, whatever, 
That's when you you get a group of mm. people together and you go yeah. visit your your representative's office. There's, you know, there's dude, things that people can do that people yeah. choose not to do because either they're lazy or there's no well, time or whatever. I, I just know. completely 100 percent agree with you. I'm also a realist, and I'm like, I know, man. If if we weren't gonna get if we weren't gonna do that over the situation in Syria or Yemen or droning American citizens, yeah, or the, right. the war on drugs, we're not gonna do it over net neutrality. It's just gonna not fucking happen. Yeah. And so I look at it from a perspective like, well, now what do we do? Those of us that realize that this ship has sailed what do we do now and that's the conversation i'm curious to know what the audience has here, to say because what can we do now well is there something is there some mesh network we could set up is there the, some other route well, we here, could take? here's the thing here's here's the thing what's Chris? the thing what's the thing there's no law that has been set yet in either direction okay all the fcc is looking to do is pull back on their this regulation okay it's not law okay there's this was not a congress thing this is not where they decided okay we're gonna do this okay okay you need to go to your representatives and say, let's get together, both sides, cross the aisles, hold hands, touch oh! each other, whatever you want to do. I'm sorry, what? Hold uh, each other. Al Franken? Al Franken. Uh, and let's create a law. Okay, let's do this. Let's you know make it bipartisan. You know, yeah, yep. Do something. Okay. Because here's the thing. The additional here's the thing. <laughs> there's, wait, there's multiple? Well, you know, there's elections that happen. And guess what, what could happen in three years? Uh, you know, you could have a Democrat back there in the White House, and guess what? Get, things get flipped back the other way, and we'll just go this back and forth all day long. We need to come to the middle, make something happen. And that, people, is what grinds my gears. Tom? Tom? <laughs> no, it's Chris. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, okay. So that's our position on it after a considerable amount of deliberation. I mean, how, we've been talking about this since, like, episode 80. Yeah, it, this is one of those things that, obviously, after the regulations kicked in in 2015, we felt things were fine. We did, you know, of course, had reservations. Yep, if Hillary, still do. If Hillary, with Hillary even winning, because you know, she wasn't too solid on the whole net neutrality thing. You know, if I'm not even solid on it. I'm not no. even sure. So it it's one of those situations where once it starts affecting companies' bottom lines, and you know, it could be a Google bottom line or a Netflix bottom line. Hmm. I'm serious. You know, it's it's one of those situations where people will start voting with their pocketbooks, and I think, I think that's you, when you'll start to see change. I think you could be right. So when we're talking about cyber, and we have been for the for ASL, like, this has yes. been a long cyber segment. Yes, but important um, one. Yeah. So let's uh, when you talk about cyber, you got to talk about Russia. Two, one, and two. It's like peanut Hacking, butter. Hacking. Yes. Peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, APK is being side loaded. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> Good callback. Yeah, man. So. Um, this one's uh, this one's good, I think, but Uh-oh. it's uh, right. it's it represents a huge power shift, and um, I, I you got to figure this has been in the works for a while. We haven't really talked a lot about the situation in Syria, and the U.S. has been dialing down their involvement with the counterinsurgency, and they've been sort of working with their partner Saudi Arabia to sort of wind down the whole counterterrorism uh, going up against Assad plan. They've just sort of been dialing it back since Trump got into office. And Putin has been stepping up his influence and his involvement with Syria and, and managing the entire situation. And it has resulted in some major shifts, major shifts. So let's start with the first major story out of Syria. 
Well, President Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin spoke by phone for more than an hour yesterday. Uh, the two talked about the situation in North Korea, as well as the road ahead for Syria. And here's what Putin had to say after meeting with the Syrian president on Monday. A lot has been done to stabilize the situation in Syria. And I hope that in the near future, we will put a final full stop in the fight against terrorism in Syria. So Putin not only called Trump, but he called Iran, he called China, he called Saudi Arabia, he called Turkey. He's trying to take the high road. You got, he's trying to take control of the situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he argues that, that is, this is a good deal for everyone. And, and also a deal with Iran between the U.S. is a good thing for everyone. Good evening, friends. We start tonight with a crucial phone call between Presidents Trump and Putin about the future of Syria. The call comes after an unexpected meeting between the Russian president and Syria's Bashar al-Assad and Sochi. The two discuss the future of Syria as countries in the region acknowledge the demise of the Islamic State. Manila Chan has been following the story. She's here tonight to tell us more about what the presidents discussed. Manila? That's right, Ed. Syria was the major issue at hand when President Putin briefed President Trump on his meeting with the Syrian leader. Putin and Bashar al-Assad met in Sochi yesterday where... So doesn't... They don't really uh, draw attention to this, but it's pretty rare for Assad to leave Syria. And this was one of those moments where he came to Putin. The pair discussed constitutional amendments in Syria, which will include holding new presidential and parliamentary elections as part of the transitional process in an effort to bring peace to the war-torn country. In a rare trip outside of Syria, Bashar al-Assad and Vladimir Putin discussed winding down Russia's military involvement, which would mark a major turning point in the six-year-long war. So it's a point that they emphasized in a press conference that Russia was winding down, winding down its involvement in Syria. And um, it's it's Putin arranging a power meeting between China, Iran, Turkey and a bunch of others to all come to an agreement about what's going on, how to wind down the Syria situation. And he's essentially calling the shots. Um, here's another clip on Ahead of a crucial few days for Syria, Vladimir Putin put on a last-minute show of political stage management. A surprise visit by Bashar al-Assad to Russia and a meeting with the military top brass who prevented his government from collapse. This is them winning. Yeah. This is the failure of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama's policy to topple Assad. This is the failure of that policy to arm the rebels, to give them weapons, to give them communications, to give them money, and to give them Toyotas. <laughs> White ones. This is what this is. This is the yeah. end of this. Yeah. And this, and in this, in this um, fumbling of the situation in Syria, we have given the power, that we have tipped the power of control in the Middle East to Russia. And part of me says, have at it. You want to be the major power influencer in the Middle East that is uh, the police that runs the policing for the Middle East? 
Have at it. Go kill your own rush. Go kill Russians for the Middle East. Let's bring our U.S. troops home. That's that's what yeah. that's what Chris says. But then part of me goes, well, then what the hell did we just waste all of this blood and treasure for for years? What have we been doing for years just to blow this thing and then let Putin get control of the Middle East? Like we didn't just misstep this. We fucking blew everything since nine eleven. So, so, every it's it is this is the this is the tipping point. It'll 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 spread everywhere from here. Some are some are saying. I mean, I'm just saying some, you know, not in our chat room or anything, but some will tell you, Chris, well, Chris, this is just because, uh, you know, Putin's relationship uh, with Trump and Trump saying, all right, go ahead. Let him do this. Go ahead. We'll, Part of me we'll... thinks it would be the best gift that Donald Trump ever gave to the people of America. He, he probably can't do much more. He's not going to fix yeah. health care. He's not going to fix taxes. But if he could wind down our involvement in the Middle East simply because he made us less relevant there. Yeah. That would actually, it would in save, totality, it would be a good thing for the United not States. Not only it would save lives in Syria, it would save American soldier lives as well. I mean, you know, it's one of those situations where, ah, just just stop it already. Well, and it would save a huge waste of money. It would save money that has oh, been huge. But you know, but you know, the military industrial complex, Chris, they'll find somewhere else to put the money. Yeah, I think that is actually true. <laughs> I think that is the reality. I mean, that's, of it. that's how it works. You know, we wind down somewhere else, so we we gear up somewhere else. Well, you always got cyber. You always got cyber, I suppose. The great cyber war. Yeah. I do think the interesting thing about this is, that, I mean, just to recap on this point. Iran. Russia, Iran, and Turkey have forged what some would say is a curiously durable partnership. They support different sides in Syria and have different goals. But every couple of months for nearly a year now, the three have co-sponsored talks with Syria's government and opposition forces in the Kazakh capital, Astana. Do you know who's sponsoring the opposition forces? Mm. Saudi Arabia. Uh, They're just full on, yeah. Yes. With with our weapons that we sold yeah, off Saudi Arabia? Yeah, we'll get back to Saudi Arabia here when we get to Yemen in a moment. But uh, this is clearly a a a galvanizing moment for Turkey, Iran, and Russia. And we have just created ourselves a great little holy trinity of uh, competitors there <laughs> by getting involved in this situation. And to what end? Assad is still in power. They, they claim they've added amendments to their constitution to create a political process. Yeah. But Assad is still in power. He'll do an easy transition. He's, gonna, he's essentially won the war. We are spinning down our support for all of the psychopaths that we hired to kill people. And Russia walks away the big victor. Yep. Good PR victory as well. I mean, it's all the way around for him. Hoorah, dude. Hoorah. <laughs> Hoorah. So let's keep talking about uh, Russia and Trump because there's been one person in the news this week over and over again when it comes to the Mueller investigation. When Jared Kushner Gotta was just Jared. 25 years old, he bought a newspaper in New York City for about $10 million. A friend said the New York Observer was Kushner's graduation present from his father. You can see him handing out copies of the first edition published oh, look on his watch. look how young he looks. Now that paper is getting tied up in the Russia controversy. So that's just a little background on Jared Kushner. Apparently, just in case you didn't know, he, he ran a paper. Uh, and the Mueller investigation keeps honing in on Jared Kushner. He's been in the news a lot this week. A new report that the Mueller investigation is uh, digging deeper into Jared Kushner's contacts with foreign leaders during the transition. According to the Wall Street Journal, the latest instance involves the December 2016 UN resolution that <coughs> condemned Israel for building settlements in disputed territories. Did she mispronounce Russia there? Did she? Because it sounded like she said Israel. 
<laughs> I, thought, I, I think she mispronounced Russia because yeah. I could have sworn she said Israel. Number 2016 UN resolution that condemned Israel. Oh, she nope. She oh, said Israel she said okay. for building settlements in disputed territories. Then President-elect Trump opposed the resolution, posting it to Facebook that it should be vetoed. The resolution was adopted the very next day after the Obama administration refused to block it. People briefed on the matter tell the Wall Street Journal that Israeli officials then began reaching out to senior transition officials, including Kushner. Now Mueller's investigators want to know what role Kushner may have played in any talks. Officials are already looking into the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting that Kushner attended with a Kremlin lawyer. Now, there's actually no association between the Israeli influence in the transition team and the Russian meeting, but they just kind of go right into it to kind of like conflate the two, I guess. I guess. And a December 2016 meeting with the head of a Russian state-owned bank that was sanctioned by the U.S. Then there are the two other meetings he disclosed with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. Kushner has also had an issue disclosing foreign contacts on his federal disclosure forms. He's had to update the list three separate times, adding more than 100 people who had previously been left off. so there's a funny thing in the dossier. It says, by the way, that Jared Kushner is a cuck and that, uh, <laughs> yeah, he le- he likes to watch guys. Anyways, um, <laughs> they, 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 here's the problem. There's a there's a real there's a real sort of slippery slope here for the left media and for the Democrats, and that is that it was Kushner's responsibility in the campaign to interface with all of these different points of interest, like the Israeli government, the Canadian government, Saudi Arabia, Russia. That was actually like his point. And they're going to get into that in the interview here. But the problem is, is if you start looking into Russian influence, then should you also be looking into Israeli influence? And if you go down that path, then should you be looking into Israeli influence for all politicians? Because that is a rabbit hole that goes very, very deep. deep. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk first about the Israeli contacts and meetings. Is Why would Bob Mueller be investigating that? Would that be illegal if he was reaching out to... Uh, the Israelis are trying to influence a UN vote. And if you think about all of the conversations around Russia recently, if you replace the word Russia with Israel, and if you replace the word Putin with Netanyahu, does it change the way you feel about them working together? If Israeli government um, lawyers had been emailing Jared Kushner about dirt on Hillary, does that change how you feel about this? And why is that? Well, you know, there is the Logan Act uh, from the 18th century that pre- prevents for, uh, American citizens who are not in office from trying to uh, undermine and affect the position of their government. It's never been prosecuted uh, successfully, certainly not in modern times, and it's sort of you know, held out there from time to time Wait, when somebody does Chris, something. Is that, that, a, is that a law that, that was put into place w- before anything happened? Yeah, maybe. No, actually, the Logan Act was in response to somebody setting up a behind-the-scenes deal with the French government. Oh, okay. But but since it was put into place, <laughs> it uh, uh, is counter to the administration. Uh, I can't. It's hard for me to imagine that that's what Bob Mueller is looking into, but right. it's possible, I, you know. I, yeah, that, that's why I asked. I can't imagine either because, I, you know, you, I don't think the Obama administration was really excited about the possibility of Israel being whacked at the U.N. at the end of, of the year. I would think well, it had a lot more to do with maybe perhaps 
the Russian banking meetings during the transition and some of the other things. Yeah, we knew at the time, by the way, that there were contacts between Netanyahu's government and the Trump camp during that debate at the U.N. That was reported at the time. Hmm. So we knew that they so I guess at the time we knew that they were colluding with the Israeli government and we were, we were OK with that. Okay. The, wouldn't the Logan Act apply, apply yeah. equally to the Israeli government or the Russian government? It's the yeah, it's but the Logan if, Act. But, it, but if they uh, if they you know apply that, they're going to have to apply it now every single time. Oh, and so, oh, yeah, so oh I see. To, you don't want to do that. So it's political. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, one thought may be that you know he has he ex, he's told the Mueller people presumably that his contacts with Kislyak and the other Russians was part of his. You know, his role in the campaign and the transition, he met with other foreign officials. Maybe they're looking to back that up to see whether that checks out. Was, in fact, uh, Jerry Kushner, you know, an envoy to all sorts of foreign officials? Or was there something unusual about the amount of contact he had with Russians? Yeah, no. So to make to clear up what he just mumbled through there is what the Mueller or Mueller investigation is supposedly doing is going through all of his contacts that he had as part of his role in the campaign and deciding which ones could be appropriate and which ones couldn't be appropriate. Uh, I don't know what by which standard they judge that, but that's apparently what could be happening now. Uh, Carol Lee, uh, Mueller's also looking at uh, the angle of Jared Kushner playing a role in Comey and the firing of Comey. Yeah. seems like there's an awful lot of uh, attention uh, focused in recent reports on Jared Kushner, and you just wonder whether other people in the White House are pointing fingers at him either because he was at the center of all of this or mm -hmm. because he has quite a few enemies in the White House. So I think it could be maybe the latter. Um, I'm no fan of Jared Kushner, but I, I would view him, if I was somebody that had been in D.C. for 40 years, as some punk son of a bitch who's an outsider. He's a total political noob. He has no idea what he's in for. And uh, he's a foreign object that must be ejected from the body. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, nobody likes Jared, apparently. And he has, you, you agree, he's been in the news a lot this last oh, week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes Jared. Nobody wants to go to Jared anymore. Uh, and we have new details about other family meetings with Russians. You ready for this one? Oh, CBS News has learned happen. special counsel Robert Mueller will soon interview top-level White House officials as part of his investigation into Russian interference in the U.S. election. Jeff Pegues, meanwhile, has new details about members of the Trump family who met with Russians during the campaign. Now, let's all listen very carefully to this report because they conflate a few things. Alexander Torshin is a Kremlin insider. As the deputy head of Russia's central bank, he has ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin and reportedly has links to organized crime. I think pretty much everybody in the high level yeah. of the government does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is why his meeting in May 2016 with Donald Trump Jr. during the height of the presidential campaign has gotten the attention of congressional investigators. The two men were introduced during a dinner at a National Rifle Association conference in Louisville, Kentucky. All right, so you take a fact that they met each other. Picture it, Sicily, 1983. You're at a dinner. Uh, this guy comes over and says, hey, hey, how you doing, Junior? How you doing, man? Good luck. Your dad's doing it. He's killing it. Your dad's brilliant. He's just doing great. Keep at it. And then you sit down and you keep eating your steak, all right? So this is what happens but the media is able to take this moment, just like they have with Jeff Sessions, and we can make any story we want. 
According to a source, Trump Jr. and Torshin discussed a mutual interest in firearms. I can tell you as somebody who's grown up around uh, gun advocates and yeah. gun lovers, yeah. that's exactly what happens. And for those of you who are not big into guns, you, you know, you're just sort of either way. You're, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, it's annoying. The source did not recall if the campaign ever came up. In a statement, Alan Futerfast, the attorney representing the president's son, said they made small talk for a few minutes and went back to their separate meals. Well, that's not good enough. We need something more dramatic. We need to bring in like an expert. We need to give some sort of story to this. Maybe Ron a Hos- foreign official? is a former assistant director of the FBI. Oh, there you go. There yeah, that'll yeah. do. That'll, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll take shared credit on it. Yeah, okay. And says meetings like this are typical of intelligence operations. You could also say meetings like this are typical of people who like guns. Meetings like this are typical of people who want Donald Trump to win. Meetings like this are typical of people who share conservative values. Meetings like this are typical of people who have children. Meetings like this are – you get my point. Part of of getting close to someone is – I give you opportunities, but I don't make you uncomfortable. Well, that's a narrative I can run with. Oh, so he's working, Junior. And I don't have you push me away. Torshin had made overtures to the Trump campaign before. Through an intermediary, a request for a meeting with candidate Trump made its way to top campaign officials, including Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Sources say Kushner recommended against the meeting. But less than three weeks after the NRA event, both Donald Trump Jr. and Kushner met at Trump Tower with a Russian lawyer with ties to the Kremlin. You see, again, not related at all. So they end with Kushner recommended against the meeting, and then they just sort of move right into this lawyer meeting as if the two things are related. But they're not related. They conflate the stories. But less than three weeks after the NRA event, both Donald Trump Jr. and Kushner met at Trump Tower. It has nothing to do with the NRA event. Nothing. And that's intentional storytelling right there. Yeah. That doesn't, you don't accidentally write it this way. You don't accidentally get all of the art assets. You don't accidentally have your very well-paid news actor voice over that. These things don't just accidentally happen. With a Russian lawyer with ties to the Kremlin. Trump Jr. had been promised dirt on Hillary Clinton. That meeting is now a key focus in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian meddling in the election. It's just interesting how they do that. And so they're able to maintain a narrative and a story, and they're able to imply momentum where there is none. Mm -hmm. As if these things are new developments when they're the same development that we had a couple of weeks ago, if not a month ago. And that's really obnoxious, too. Uh, And then there's one more story that I really kind of want to get your take on. This keeps coming up in the news for about three weeks now. And we got to figure out what this is. What are they trying to message here? The top U.S. nuclear commander says he would refuse nuclear strike orders from President Trump if those orders were illegal. General John Hyden says his first obligation is to follow the law despite what any commander in chief tells him to do. Watch. Now, we played that last week. Yeah, yeah. And like this is a thing that keeps coming up. Trump is such a a blowhard that he's going to blow up at somebody. He's going to launch the nukes. Yeah, but the uh, and I don't know how much of the clip that you have, but the general actually had conversations with Trump and Trump was talking about it. And he's like, well, you know, if it's an illegal order, we got to make sure it's legal. Yeah. Yeah, So here's the clip. Yeah. So but I just so go from I'll resist. So the the guys, the, 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 the script was the the general will resist an illegal order from Trump. And here's what the general actually said. Yeah. I provide advice to the president. He'll tell me what to do. And if it's and if it's illegal, guess what's going to happen? You say no. I'm going to say, Mr. President, that's illegal. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to say what would be legal. And we'll come up with options of a mix of capabilities to respond to whatever the situation is. And that's the way it works. 
That's all he's really saying. Yeah, there's, that's there's, not majorly controversial. No, no there, there, there was a huge spin on this, and we talked about it on the show. It's not that, that complicated. That yes, ultimately yes, the president can make it happen if he really is like fully determined. So to why do does it. this story keep coming up? Because it fill, it fits the narrative. It fills the news cycle. It's one of those story non story situations, mm. and this is a non story situation. It's pretty cut and dry when it comes to military code and conduct on this. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. The only reason why it's it's even coming up to the uh, froth, if you will, the froth level, is it to build like a, it's like to build this narrative around Trump that he's incompetent. Uh well, no, I think it, it, it the narrative got boosted just based on the fact that he's talking to you know he's talked a lot about North Korea. And talked about you know you know fire and fury and those those kind of comments and it you know there are some people that are honestly spooked by those comments so maybe part of it is that the spinning of the story is to remind those people that hey calm down nothing's gonna happen because of those specific procedures huh. in place huh. so huh. I think sometimes it's a little bit of reassurance that you know people yeah calm down there's checks and balances in play here. So I think some people in the live stream had a hard time hearing the clips because they were mono. So sorry if you're listening live. I think that might have been the case. I apologize. Oh, this is in stereo. Yeah, we are. No? But the oh, clip, okay. that clip, that CNN clip, for whatever reason, was sorry about that. Was that in was mono. in stereo too. So let's shift over to some world news and something that the patrons have requested this week is coverage about Yemen. And so I have a slightly dated clip, but it's a pretty good explanation and a summary of what the hell's going on in Yemen, why the situation is so bad, and it'll keep moving and get everybody up to speed. So let's go. Now, you probably haven't heard what with all the important tweets to fact check during Senate hearings, but guess what this week is? It's the second birthday of the war in Yemen. Happy birthday, guys. Don't forget to light your candles. Basically, two guys have been in charge of Yemen for 25 years. Saleh was president from 1990 to 2012, and he was replaced by Hardy, who was previously vice president from 1994 to 2012 and has been president ever since. And both have some very passionate supporters. And why wouldn't they rule forever? Those two have done such a bang-up job. Back before the war began, only 45% of the country was malnourished and only 54% lived in poverty, with some cities enjoying the luxury of tap water once every 20 days. Lucky duckies. Of course, those two also have their detractors, as evidenced by Hardy's picture on Wikipedia. Anyway, after the Arab Spring in 2012, Hardy took over as part of a settlement. He was supposed to only hang around for two years, but then that became three. And then in 2015, he decided to stick around a bit more. That's when Saleh supporters, who were largely a Shiite group known as the Houthis, tried to overthrow Hardy, who is a Sunni. And this made Yemen's neighbour Saudi Arabia very nervous because they're also Sunnis and the last thing they want is to be surrounded by Shiites, especially with Iran taking an active interest in things. So Saudi Arabia started backing Hadi with lots of bombs. And off we go. But where does America fit into this? Well, under Obama alone, America sold Saudi Arabia $115 billion worth of weaponry. Not to mention, America provides most of Saudi Arabia's intelligence and all of their air refueling capacity. So Saudi Arabia simply couldn't fight without America's help. And this is where the problem lies. You see, these guys fight dirty, both sides. 
There have been over 10,000 civilian deaths from the war over the last two years, and that is not an accident. 101 schools and hospitals were bombed in 2015 alone, forcing Doctors Without Borders to leave the area. Furthermore, 80% of Yemen's food comes through the one port, a port that Saudi Arabia blockaded in 2015. And then it was bombed nine times. And then the bridge that 90% of the country's food aid travels along was also repeatedly bombed. So now, what was already a hellhole has just received an upgrade. According to the aid agencies, you have 17 million people at emergency or crisis levels of food insecurity, including 7 million close to famine, with a Yemeni child dying every 10 minutes from severe malnutrition. And Oxfam estimate that 82% of the population need humanitarian assistance. And that was all facilitated by Barack Obama. Until the Saudis bombed a funeral procession late last year, and then Obama said, enough, no more arms sales to the Saudis. But then Donald Trump said, actually, let's try that again. (laughs) And in the first week of March, America dropped more bombs in Yemen than they did in the whole of 2016. So here we go into another quagmire. But the good news is, with another thousand troops heading to Syria and the generals wanting to try another surge in Afghanistan, we're spoiled for choice when it comes to quagmires we can completely ignore. Happy birthday, Yemen. So uh, that was about uh, eight months ago. So now we need to come up to speed. But I thought that was pretty good. And uh, this is the reason why I think a lot of the patrons wanted us to cover it this week is because finally, for some reason, um, out of nowhere, 60 Minutes decided to actually talk about Yemen a little bit. This month, Saudi Arabia tightened a stranglehold on the neighboring country of Yemen, and seven million people face starvation. The Saudi blockade is an escalation in Yemen's civil war. The United Nations says that the war has now become a man-made catastrophe. You've seen very little of this because the Saudis prevent reporters from reaching the war zone. Now that's their explanation. The reason why we haven't talked about it in the U.S. media is because Saudi Arabia doesn't let reporters go there, as if they can't use other sources. They're more than happy to quote Twitter when Donald Trump shits something out from the toilet. But when it's people reporting from Yemen, ah, no, sorry, we can't talk about it until we go there ourselves. And so this is the excuse that they have used not to talk about the situation in Yemen. The reality is they're not talking about the situation in Yemen because the U.S. is a facilitator. Recently, we were ordered off a ship headed to Yemen. Days later, the Saudis gave us permission to fly there, but after our equipment was loaded and our boarding passes issued, the Saudis closed the airspace so the plane couldn't take off. Even so, we have managed to get pictures out of Yemen to show you what the Saudi government does not want you to see. You see, they could have done it all along. So when they decided to do it, they actually managed to get access to it. But there's some things that they overlooked in the report. CBS's 60 Minutes is winning praise for the fact it finally covered the U.S.-Saudi war against Yemen, a total of two years and eight months since the intervention began in March of 2015. There's just one tiny problem. As noted by The Intercept in the 13-minute segment... I have a link to that in the show notes. The program did not once mention that Saudi Arabia is a U.S. ally and that U.S. support is essential for the Saudi campaign to continue. Yeah, in fact, we're their air support. We're their Mm -hmm. only air refueling support. And guess where they got all them weapons from? So, how did journalists reporting for a U.S. audience manage to omit this fact? Let's... 
Well, how do you, <laughs> I wonder, how do you suppose that happened? <laughs> that's, that's, hmm. Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> yeah, right. So this, that's the, essentially the situation in Yemen is we're backing our buddies in Saudi Arabia. Now, you might say, Chris, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we backing Saudi Arabia when they're obviously in the wrong here? Well, I have you know some what? bacon. I knew I saw some bacon on that turkey when I walked in. That's nice. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I like to wrap it. Fair enough. That's like a lot to, of turkey. So I got a lot of extra bacon. So here's my thought on this is this is being driven by a very delicate balance that we have. One of the ways that the U.S. ensures control over very powerful allies is we establish direct partnerships with their military. Training, financing, intelligence, we get real tight. We get real tight. We get real bro with their military because political offices and kingdoms come and go. But militaries are forever. Mm-hmm. And so when the military gets involved in something, we have to be there. We have to be their bros. We have to get their backs because if we ever need to pull the lever and we need to overthrow the government of Saudi Arabia, well, we need our buddies. Boom. And the buddies are the military. And this is something the military is taking on. And so we're backing our buddies. And because we've gotten everybody to stay silent for two years and eight months, well, so far it's working out pretty well. It's only now, now finally, that CBS News focused on the children, on the starving children, the bony starving children. Think of the children. Now we're talking about the problems in Yemen. And honestly, I, I guess... I, I guess that's just what it takes. I guess it just takes the, the children angle before the American public gives two shits. They don't care about people um, losing their homes. They don't care about a people's struggle for control of their government and their own sovereign rights. They don't care about foreign powers invading. They don't care about the U.S. government illegally making and enabling that invasion of Saudi They don't care. They just don't care. But you show them a skinny kid and all of a sudden we give two shits. And that's, yeah. what, that's what CBS News did. So I got to give them credit for at least doing that. At least they did that. And we have the video in the supporter sync if you'd like to watch the entire 13-minute segment. But, Chase, we have to keep moving on. It's yes. becoming a huge show. And we have to give a little time to the pervert parade and the mess that's really going on in this congressional slush fund. That's, Or actually, I should call it a shush fund. It's a it's, shush fund. It's a shush fund. Yes. And I think this is the bigger controversy. You got your Harvey Weinsteins and you got every you – got, you got but this is a real problem because you know what it's about, Mr. Chase? What's that, Chris? Of course it is. Well, the accusations against Senator Franken overshadow what could be an even bigger story. Congress has known about sexual misconduct and other kinds of misconduct by its members for years and has doled out your money, taxpayer cash, to keep it quiet. A group called the Office of Compliance has handed out more than $15 million to settle 260 alleged cases of sexual harassment, gender discrimination, and other wrongdoing by members of Congress. Fifteen mil. Now, here's, here's an example of how one of those plays out. Michigan's John Conyers is admitting to a payoff of a former employee who says he fired her because she rejected his sexual advances, but he denies he did anything wrong. Correspondent Peter Ducey is on Capitol Hill. Now, where'd that money come from? Of course, it came from that compliance committee. Uh, And the biggest name this week to get outed as a predator is Mr. Charlie Rose. Which, uh, which we've heard on the show many times. Which we have played on the show a lot. 
Say anything to those accusers, the people that's accusing you of all these wrongdoings? It's not wrongdoings. It's not wrongdoings is what he says. It's a little hard to hear. That's Charlie Rose on the street. Less than 24 hours after a Washington Post article alleged Charlie Rose sexually harassed female employees for years. What did I say when that article came out? What did I say, There's Chase? There's going to be some people inside CBS that will say something. And he's going to get fired. Yep. And it's whenever that happens, there's always more that come out. And that's exactly what's happened. The 75-year-old is out of a job. In a statement, the president of CBS News announced Rose was fired, writing in part, No one may be able to correct the past, but what may once have been accepted should not ever have been acceptable. Charlie does not get a pass here. This morning, Rose's CBS co-anchors spoke out with a mix of anger and sadness. Let me be very clear. There is no excuse for this alleged behavior. It is systematic and pervasive. Women cannot achieve equality in the workplace or in society until there is a reckoning and a taking of responsibility. I'm really struggling because how do you, what do you say when someone that you deeply care about has done something that is so horrible? There's been a lot of different reactions. Uh, so, of course, Al Franken was another one that came out recently. Uh, the one that really kind of was the most recent, of course, was Kevin Spacey. And then when after Kevin Spacey came out, it was more and more and more names came out. Now it's like up to 20 people that have come out against Kevin Spacey. I think the same thing is going to happen to Charlie Rose. And it's in both cases, it feels like there's a lot behind the the, the movement. Like, like it's like something that's been waiting to burst behind the scenes. And then all of these people come forward. And um, Gail and Nora, who I've been commenting about this for a few weeks in the overtime. And if you Google it, there's there's a lot of different uh, speculation about it. But Gail and Nora have been like trying to have like a power fight for control of the show for a, for a while now since yeah. since Charlie came back from his heart surgery. And this is an interesting development after that. Yeah, I know you and I have talked a lot about yes, this and it takes a lot of courage for these women to come forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that they should continue to do something to, to we do hope so that they will continue to speak up. Yeah. Um, I also want to say this, that this is a moment that demands a frank and honest assessment about where we stand and more generally the safety of women. Let me be very clear. There is no excuse for this alleged behavior. It is systematic and pervasive. They're taking a pretty strong stand against their buddy here. Yeah. What do you think of this? I think it's necessary. I, no, I, I, I don't think necessary is the right word. I think it's it's honesty and it's it's warranted. It, it's uh, to it, me, it feels like they've known, and you think and so? and and now they have to go to this far because they've known for a while, and they're able to finally express it. And I've been doing a lot of listening, and I'm going to continue to do that. This I know is true. Women cannot achieve equality in the workplace or in society. Until there is a reckoning. This is a very much of a written statement. Yeah, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I, it's so you compare you compare the Kevin Spacey and the um, Charlie Rose to the Al Frankens, and there's a pretty big tone difference. Uh, pulling a card from the old days of the Daily Show then here, he photo took a picture, montage. Uh, which his office now says was a joke uh, that showed him uh, potentially not actually groping, but mock groping her uh, while she was asleep. I don't doubt his remorse at all, um, and he admitted he did what he did. There was a picture of it, and he didn't remember the messy kiss. But this is. 
this is them talking about Al Franken. And, uh, you know, if you go back, you can go search on YouTube, 2006 Al Franken, uh, US, uh, US, USO. USO. Um, um, skit, and you can see the skit, and you can see that the woman is clearly uncomfortable with Al Franken in it. It's very awkward to watch. But, you know, um, didn't whatever. didn't the messy kiss, but whatever. You know, whatever. Whatever. Which is, she said, he won. That was an explanation in and of itself, was basically that Al Franken was contrite. Donald Trump never sh- has shown any contrition. This is also like, let's talk about Trump. Let's talk about all of Trump's problems. Well, that, ha- in that-, that happens both ways. I mean, y- yeah, it's, I know, a, it's a classic deflection. No, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is this is a cut, though, to show just a comparison difference between Charlie Rose and, say, Al Franken, because what I think is, is there's I'm not trying to defend Al Franken here, but I think there's a difference where when there's. Like people know behind the scenes that this shit's been going down for years. Yeah, but it also and I think that's the case. Sorry, yeah. just one more. Th- just yeah. finish it. Yeah. So I think with Charlie Rose and with Kevin Spacey and with Harvey Weinstein, there is like people that have known behind the scenes for decades, and so when they finally get exposed, everybody comes out, they fire him right away, and then you got Al guys like Al Franken who were just really kind of a prick. He was a pervy prick who was grabbing this girl's boobs when she passed out and doing some kisses. But it, that was the extent of it, right? It wasn't like systemic decades worth of using your power position to control women. It was more like him being a stupid fuck and, and just goofing around. And that's the difference, I right. think. And that's why there is a tone difference between how they talk about Franken versus yeah. how they talk about Charlie Rose. I, I was going to add on to that, too. And I think you hit a, a good point on that because you – First off, I wouldn't want to lump the guy, and I'm not saying Frank in here, but let's say you know, because uh, uh, the 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 kissing thing is in dispute. I don't just no, come on. No, no, I'm saying he said and she said they're they're disputing that fact. I'm not disputing I, the fact. I I'm go saying with, they dispute. You go, you go with her. I unless no, you, no. Let me finish here. <laughs> and then the 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 picture of the mo- uh, the mock groping and grabbing if, the boobs, right? And the grabbing the boobs thing. Compare that to uh, a guy walking around naked in front of women. Or taking a shower and then walking taking a out shower, them, Or making them stick right, around because right. and making them feel like they right. can't say anything because it's crucial to their career. Both both sides are crap. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. But... It's a spectrum of abuse, but, though. But, but there's a spectrum. When you're abusing your position of power, it's yes. a whole other psychological level absolutely. of abuse. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And, and it was one of, it's one of those situations where I think they... Each individual case needs to be measured on its own situation. Now that said, um, I still kind of feel I'm a, like I'm not saying that I feel we, like Franken crossed the line still. Oh, well, he definitely did cross the line for sure, for sure. But to what end? To 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 the point of well, all of these are pretty far in the past too. You know, right? right. I, I don't know. I guess it, to me, it seems like there should be some kind of investigation. I mean, yeah. I mean, what's I mean, I think he said he uh, he welcomes any kind of ethics yeah, of investigation. Course, yes. Of course he does. <laughs> but it's like to to what end, right? To to yeah. How many more investigations do we need? Well, how many more investigations do we need? What would satisfy uh, you know people involved here? Like Charlie Rose, you know CBS, they make a decision, he's gone, right? Kevin Spacey's fired from his stuff. Louis C.K. fired from his stuff. You know. Uh, a lot of these things are way past the uh, the the years of statute of limitations, so there's no criminal penalty. Uh, there's nothing you can do there. It's the court of public opinion, the though. Court of a public, opinion. and all of these people are being tried in it, and it is fascinating to watch. And it's this. Swift. Have you watched the Orville recently? 
Uh, I've, I'm only a first couple episodes. Oh, okay. Well, there's an episode in the Orville where it's like public opinion. It's like everybody has a Reddit, essentially. Anyways, yeah. it's very much the court of public opinion. People have to go on apology tours. Charlie Rose is done. He's 75 years old. Oh, yeah. You you will not see him on television again. They should put Brywy in his spot. <laughs> ah. CBS goes grabs him. You know, they're trying to get Oprah to take his spot. But Brywy is uh, already a convicted liar, remember? Mm, but he's not. But see, now... It's like it's like how they're trying to make Bush look better compared to Trump. Yeah. Now Broadway looks better compared to Charlie Rose. That's the way it works in public opinion. Yeah. Right. And actually, the shoe just dropped. I think yesterday, one of the the top guys of Pixar caught in a, a scandal as well. Yeah, and I also noticed that Meg Whitman just stepped down as the CEO of HP. That's interesting. Let's also talk about Harvey Weinstein. It's been a little while, and then we're going to wrap up the pervert parade here with just this. We could go on for the entire episode, but. There is a disturbing angle. So I, we went. We were just briefly touching on how when you're in a position of power, it's even more perverse. There's even another element to this. It's not just a position of power. And it's something that we have a hard time connecting with, uh, your humble hosts, because we're not crazy rich with the ability to essentially have anything happen that we want. And when you are in an industry position of power and you're financially powerful, you really have control over people's lives. And it it really is illustrated in in this story about Harvey Weinstein hiring spies to monitor his accusers' lives. And in a recent turn of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, the producer is now being accused of hiring private investigators to track actresses and journalists. The Israeli Black Cube Company was hired in an attempt to squash any allegations against Weinstein. So joining me now... Now think about that for a second. An Israeli for hire intelligence agency and, and private or private eye, if you want to if you want to give him that moniker, uh, is he has the ability to just call them up and say, hey, I need you to go after this person and dig up some dirt. <sighs> so that way they don't say anything. Wow. Now that is probably way more prevalent than we can imagine. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Money and power. That's what, well, Frank, what he did was he went too far. Uh, it's not like hiring Israeli spies. <laughs> bad (laughs) that's that's so bad i mean it's so bad and uh, yes yes oh my gosh it's anderson hey anderson walking in hey all right buddy you ready to get into the sack let's get into a special turkey and then it's going to be the high note (laughs) right after mommy you're going to get your joint later but right now it's time to carve in to the presidential oh wait we can't carve into the presidential turkey it's been pardoned yes so hey drumstick come on over hang out with me we're gonna go to the sack and uh, this week um you know first off (laughs) i want to say before jumping into the sack that you know personally i'm i'm thankful for our incredible audience over at patreon thanks to you guys we're able to sustain and do this awesome show every one of you who jumps on board we're getting closer to our awesome goal and so I just want to say a big thanks to you guys. Thank you. To, echoed, echoed. Thank you to uh, producer Matt. Thank you to Rakai for splicing things together. Thanks to you, Chris, Ange as well. Who us? Thanks to the entire uh, JB community. Thank you guys for being there for me yeah. as well during my time. Shoot. And, and issues. So I just wanted to say a big thanks to all you guys. And thanks to you, buddy. Uh, Hell of a co-host. A, oh. pr- a pro through and through. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, that one episode will go down in history. Anyway, uh, 
So let's uh, let's head to the sack, and uh, Mickey uh, writes in and says, Gobble, gobble, Chris Chase. So on my mind lately has been all of the different sexual assault and sexual misconduct allegations. The Our, pervert parade. That's right. Our country was founded on innocent until proven guilty. This creates a problem when you have to believe the accusers no matter what. Yes, these people's feelings and emotions matter, but the person accused of the crime also matters. Without a proper trial, we have no business ruining people's careers over allegations. Podesta is a good example of this. There was clear evidence, and he was put away. It's a shame that these horrible things may have happened, but there's a statute of limitations for a reason. So, yeah. Mickey, you're absolutely right on the criminal side of things. Especially, the, we touched on a little bit, the court of public opinion. Yeah. Is, it is freaky. And with the fact that uh, a lot of the cable news turns it into a reality television right. show, and then you have YouTube that are, like just highlights like, However, the clips, and, the, and then the late night hosts just yeah. riff on it all. And it's, it's a real cycle of, um, of buzz that it creates. But there's some factors to to acknowledge here. So first off, if if you know, it's very hard, you know, especially if you've been sexually abused, to to be able to a even come forward at, in your own right. And well, say we just something. covered why sometimes it yeah. can be pretty impossible. They'll yeah. hire an Israel, Israeli, Israeli spies. Israeli spies to <laughs> hold dirt over your head. Um, well, yes, criminally, yeah, you know what, uh, you can't go to jail past statute limitations. I don't think there should be statute limitations on this kind of creepish. Awful, devilish, controlling, just throw any word out there like this. This is one of those – this is one of the bad words. This is one of those situations where these men uh, – and then the uh, actually that's all been men, even with Terry Crews – deserve this. They deserve what has been coming to them for these situations. Yeah, a lot of them are rich and they avoided jail, right? They avoided so. jail. They're rich. They held their power over their victims for many, many, many years, ruined women's lives the only, because they couldn't, you know, go forward in their careers. So let me ask you this, though. It's just— Is it—what about the one or two that are going to be genuinely innocent? Well, the, Who will also—because there's so much momentum in public court to condemn these people, they will also be labeled as guilty. So the ones that are, that are, that are innocent, you know— since the news is so quick right now to, to jump on board and I'd be granting, you know, interviews left, right, center. I'd be doing whatever I needed to do to clear my name. You know, th- those kind of situations, you know. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that in Mr. Roy Moore's face, uh, place, for example, where he says he denies everything, right? But he refuses to have a debate with his Democratic opponent. He refuses to, you know, have an actual solid interview on air, even with, I mean, well, he did it with uh, Hannity. And look how that turned out, right? <laughs> so it's one of those situations where if you are truly innocent, I, you know what? Let me see it. You know, benefit of the doubt, right? But a lot of these guys with Charlie Rose, how do you feel uh, Franken, about- Louis C.K., they come out and say, you know, how yeah, I How do you feel about it. Bill Clinton in light of all this? Because these have been, there's been, there's like 20 women that have come out that have accused Bill Clinton of some form of rape or sexual misconduct. Of course, there's famous ones, Paula Jones, Monica Lewinsky, and other names that stand out as sort of brands at this point. Right. Uh, He he had been on flights with known pedophiles to islands that were known as Lolita Island. Go Google Bill Clinton, Lolita Island. I mean, that's a, do you feel like there, how far back do we go? Do we go all the way, do we go all the way back to the 80s? and prosecute everybody, where, where does it stop? Well, what do the women want? I mean, you know, it's one of those situations where if, if they're going to come forward and, and, you know, 
they deserve our support. They're the ones that are the victims here. And it's what, not just I, women that are victims. Well, of course. I'm, I'm saying like in this particular scenario, exception Terry Crews and the victims of, of Kevin Spacey, which I know a lot of them were men too. Um, it's one of those situations where it needs to be acknowledged. It needs, you know, the, the days of the money and power thing, it needs to stop. It's not right. It's not normal. It, it, it needs to stop completely. And you know what? It Clinton, yeah, of course. I mean, all of it should be open and fair game. Clinton, uh, uh, Bush, you know, you know, look into the Bush senior thing. You know, I'm not. Mm. Sa- you okay. know, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. it, it needs to be equal across the board. Here. I'm, I, I, I am trying to come across as sympathetic. At the same time, part of me is concerned that bigger picture items like Yemen, oh, I agree. like net neutrality, are being ignored in the wider discussion because of. All of this, and while 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 I do feel like it's all important, some of this stuff is from like thirty years ago or ten years ago. But it needs to set a precedent where you know now we got we got your back. And when I'm saying like we got your back, is we're saying this out loud to people that yeah, have been gotta, affected you, by. You gotta you gotta alter the culture in a way where it's no longer okay. I'm skeptical it can be done because I think it's, it's going to be very difficult. I think it's just I think it's inherently flawed with the with the power structure. Oh, oh but, totally, totally it is. But you know what? If 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 us talking about this pushes aside uh, a small you know throwaway story that could might have been in the news that week, I'm for it. As long as it's not throwing out the things that are important right now with, you know, Yemen and Russia and and things that are happening that we're actually seeing on the news and it's not pushing those things away and we're still talking about them on this show, then I have no issue in in talking about and throwing these, you know, like, for example, I liked Louis C.K. You know, I, I liked his comedy. Mm-hmm. Now he's made the asshole list. You know, my my personal asshole list, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, Charlie Rose, congratulations. You just made the list. You know, and sorry. And people is what grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah, huh? it's, a, it's a double shot. You so. had two of them this yeah, week. Yeah, man. So, no, it's it's one of those things that, you know, that there should be no, you, you shouldn't have to, ha- you know, let me say this. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You shouldn't be protected in these regards, and you oh, shouldn't. Is that the end of the okay. sack there? Because we got to get to the high note. Yeah, let's before. get to the high all note. All right. All right. You let's, good? Let's, you good? Let's, yeah, let's end it. You let's, get, end, right. let's go into the break here. Sorry, guys. You know, it's just that personally for me, I've seen people. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I talked about my thing last week, and yeah. then I got shit on it by comment- commenters, which is pretty great. I always like that a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, don't worry. I, I know what it feels like to get shit on. Wait, what? Oh, um, that's a whole nother show, my That's friend. a different show. All right. Let's, User. Get back, let's get back into the high note. <laughs> Mommy needs a joint. Mommy. So there is a little girl who may just result in the debate around cannabis exploding at the federal level because... This 12-year-old is suing Jeff Sessions. A 12-year-old girl is spearheading a campaign to legalize medical marijuana across the whole country. Alexis Bortel says she and her family had no choice but to move from their Texas home to Colorado to treat her severe epilepsy. Now her family and a handful of others are suing Attorney General Jeff Sessions and the DEA. They're demanding cannabis for the treatment of their illnesses, diseases, and medical conditions. Barry Peterson spoke with Alexis. He is in Denver, Colorado with her story. Barry, good morning. This is one of those stories that really triggers me. So obviously it's the parents, and it's a group of parents that are suing Jeff Sessions. Uh, but um, this is one of those stories that really triggers me because it 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 ends up hanging its hat on one of these old tropes where we just need more research. But we'll get to that first. Um, 
marvel in how well-spoken this 12-year-old girl is and tell me if she's not the perfect advocate for this cause. It's amazing. Good morning. Well, here at Medicine Man, they grow a lot of the marijuana that they use in their pot product. They still got to do these walk through the pot, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. so classic. At least he's not wearing a mask on this yeah. one. Yeah. He's got, yeah. Yeah. So he's about to set up the 12-year-old girl here. But first, you got to let him saunter on through the cannabis plants. Now, even though marijuana is legal in Colorado for recreational use, there's still a debate about its value to treat medical conditions. But one family thinks this is nothing less than a lifesaver. Well, ever since I've been on this cannabis, um, I've actually been seizure-free for today. It's 974 days, so we're coming up on 1,000, so I think that's pretty good. Isn't that amazing? Makes me want to hug her. I know. I, th- I mean, just like, good for you, she's man. Like, she's like super, like, I've been a thousand. Or high five or whatever, you know. I don't she's, wanna... like, she's like legit excited that she's yeah. been a thousand days without a seizure. Been on this cannabis. Um, That's I've her life, been man. I've actually free for today. It's 974 days, so we're coming up on the thousand. She's keeping so track it's because it's pretty, a big deal to her. Good. This indeed. is her life. Because this was once the life of Alexis Bortel. Seizures every few days, as seen in these videos taken at the direction of her doctors. Her parents say epilepsy medications didn't work, and there was even talk of brain surgery. She's she's obviously a brilliant 12-year-old. She's extremely well-spoken. She's thought deeply about the questions that this D-bag's about to ask her. And it's a shame to make – to put her to, – to give her – she would be altered by brain surgery. And, and, and she, her life is, is completely devastated by these seizures. And here she is on cannabis – she is she is she is under the influence of THC during this interview, a 12 year old child. And she gives better answers than most adults that get interviewed by the news. You call epilepsy. Well, I call it my seizure monster. But this seems to tame the seizure monster, an oil made from marijuana taken twice a day. Is she Her just doing li- the uh, CBD oil? Is yeah. That, under doing? the tongue. Yeah. Yep. Lived in Texas. There's so. By the way, the only way for that to work, though, it's there is some THC in there for right. it to really be effective, right? But it's 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 basically the, yep. the non-high yep. part of it, yep. you guys. So when you guys talking about the effects of things, mm-hmm. this doesn't do that kind of stuff. Where they couldn't get the oil they needed, but they could in Colorado, where both medical and recreational pot are allowed. For her father, Dean Bortel, the decision to move here three years ago was an easy one. I would die for her, right? So the least I could do is uproot my life and give her a chance at the exact same freedoms and future I had. You'd do it again? Twice on Sunday. Are you adjusted to being here? Um, We've been here about three years, so we're adjusting. Alexis hopes the lawsuit will make medical marijuana legal across the country. Do you think it's unfair that this medicine is not available to everybody in the United States. I think it's really unfair because I feel like they're basically punishing us because we're sick. But some medical experts are not sure. See, this is the trope they always go to, 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 to sow d- d- um, doubt. And it relies on a fundamental assumption that I disagree with. And the assumption is, until we've done proper research, we should ban this substance everywhere. No. Flip that around. How about 
until we've done the research that says it's dangerous, let people experiment. They yes. can be our test animals in the wild. Chris, I I, I always thought that the you land know, of the brave. We Chase. have the freedom of expression, and we have the free in the brave. If I wanted to, I could walk into traffic and kill myself. Yeah, but just don't put a weed in your body. Jacqueline French is the chief scientific officer of the Epilepsy Foundation. We really need more research. Money. To find out what's helping. What's Actually, hurt. to be fair, it's not just about that. It's, it's well, They the need f- the research because it's illegal and they haven't been able to do the proper research. Well, I understand well, it's, that. It's the feds to allow them to do the freaking yeah. research, too. But you cannot deny the results. In And this is no, not the can't. first child no. epilepsy case no, we've right. talked about either. You're right. And so it's almost disingenuous to sit there and say there's no evidence because there is almost a overwhelming avalanche of evidence just in the consumer market. Now, because they haven't gotten the million or billion dollars they need to do their own personal research and because it's extremely hard federally to get the funding, they can't conclusively say, according to our research, but they have millions of people now in our own country that are taking this stuff and significantly changing their lives. And it's not just children. It's adults, too. Of the Epilepsy Foundation. We really need more research to find out what's helping, what's hurting, whether people should opt for this over some other options that they may have. I mean, everything else seems to have what side What are you effects. trying to say, lady? Because first off, she tried all the options. I don't know if you saw that clip, lady. With all the, uh, the, of the, all the 30 the... different medications that that little girl had and tried to take. You know, screw you. Okay, really, screw you, because you know what? This is her last option. Her family decided to uproot and move. Right. She left her friends. As if they like, as if they went from, well, you know what? That ibuprofen didn't work, so let's go to Colorado. You no, know, screw you. She did try all of her options. She tried everything. And this was her last resort. And this is like one of those they things where it's like, her. it's like the quality of life isn't just she stops having seizures. She stops having seizures, and she doesn't have all of the other side effects like diarrhea, like the shakes, uh, like the lack of of appetite and all of the other things that they had from the medications that didn't even completely solve the problem. So you go from a complete quality of life difference and they just sit here and they waffle and say, not enough research. Fine. I completely agree. Do a lot more research. Spend billions of dollars researching. In the meantime, let the consumer market try this shit out. Well, and it's not only that, man. I say it should go to... Short of, you know, if you're unless you're like, you know, breaking the law of like, you know, killing somebody, ripping somebody Mm, off mm -hmm, or whatever. mm -hmm. What if it was crack cocaine? Okay, I know this is crazy to say, but what if it was crack cocaine that made her a normal person again? And it was scientific. They couldn't figure it out why, but it was crack cocaine. You Gary Johnson. um, (laughs) Not liberal. No, Uh, no, a libertarian. Libertarian. But, But no, but what I'm trying to say is this is what works for her. This is her solution. This is where I was going with it. Yeah. I know that's what gets me. That's why, we, while I agree, she's not hurting anybody. We need more research. At the same time, that can't be the. That sounds like an anti-intellectual answer. It yeah. sounds anti-intellectual. Let people govern their own right. lives and let, self-experiment. Oh yeah, and let her go and wait through the red tape, Chris, while she's suffering, while while she's missing her childhood years and having kids tease her. Because because some researchers want you know, we we need to wait five years before this gets approved or seven years or twenty years. Ooh, that's just awful. You know what it's I mean? Evil. It's like that. This is her life. Are not sure. Oh, Jacqueline French is the chief scientific officer of the Epilepsy Foundation. We really need more research to find out what's helping, what's hurting, whether people should opt for this over some other options that they may have. Alexis has turned her epilepsy into her cause making soap and donating the proceeds to charity 
even writing a book. What? But all she really wants is just to be a kid. Yeah. Now, does it make you also feel more normal in your regular life? Yes. Why? Because I can, let's say, have a sleepover at a friend's house without having a seizure. Why did you think people would listen to a 12-year-old? Well, I feel like it wouldn't really matter because it's the right thing to do. And I don't think I need to be over 18 to do the right thing. Jeez, that's nailing it. She's nailing it, dude. so... It's just like inspiring. It's if like, you're not inspired, man, check your pulse, man. Right? I mean, it's the twelve-year-old girl's got to figure it out. How come Jeff Sessions can't figure it out? Because Jeff Sessions hates everything that that could be good for you. He's got to look at the research. Well, maybe this lawsuit will go somewhere. We'll follow it on yeah. the show. Now, listen, the overtime's coming up. It's got a whole bunch of more stuff. But this right here, this is your protein and veggies. If you got to check out, yeah. you got to go. Yeah. If you if you can't stick around for some delicious pumpkin pie, yeah. Well, we'll. We just want to leave you with a little parting wisdom, some advice to get you through the holiday weekend. Perhaps reach out to my good buddy, Mr. Chase, on the Twitter. Where would they do that, Chase? They can follow me at Nunes. Oh! N-U-N-E-S is my Twitter handle. You will see all my lovely tidbits and, and cool things that I do. I also have a Discord, discord.gg slash TV. Uh, you know, if you're looking to hang out, please let me know. By the way, Chris, yes, sir. you got the Thanksgiving holiday coming oh, up. Oh, man. No, I'm, I'm, no doubt. You're going to probably tweet up. about turkey, fired up. Fired possibly. Up. Ready to go. Maybe do some vlogging about it. At Chris LAS. Go there. Follow me there. That's where I do the tweeting. Also follow the network at yeah. Jupiter Signal. It's a good idea. Join us live, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to find out when. It'll get converted to your local time. And then, why not join our unfiltered Discord channel, dedicated to the unfiltered show, Discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. There Love is that. a filter channel in there. Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. In the meantime, if you if you just like to send us something to read behind the scenes, there's one more resource to give out. Yes. It's jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Everybody oh. can get a hold there. And if you want to get your note on the show, of course, you got to be in Club 33 over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. What? Okay, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Unfilter Program. And we'll see you right back here next week. Mommy needs a joy. I say boulder dash. While you're laughing, the hackers are dropping malware into your system. that pause button just yet because it's time for overtime Thank you to our six new patrons this week who are staying woke. Matthew, Levi, Nicholas, Byron, Benjamin, and Sean, our new patrons at patreon.com slash unfiltered, keeping this an independent show with our only priority being the audience. 
We keep ourselves accountable to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you for supporting this show and this segment. This segment is dedicated to you, all of our patrons, and all of our future patrons. One more time, say it with me, patreon.com slash unfiltered. Now this week... We're going to use the O'Nancy segment to keep an eye on the establishment Democrats, the corporatists. Let's just call them corporatists because they're not really left. They're not really right. They're corporatists. And one of the top corporatists in this whole gang is Hillary Clinton. And she was in um, an interview recently with them. Uh, Harvey Hugh, I think his name is. He's sort of a quasi-conservative radio host. And so I was kind of surprised that she went on there, to be honest with you. It's not normally her kind of scene. And she goes on there and she actually made a rough reference to Pizzagate. To work together across partisan lines. I mean, the things that were said about me, the conspiracies that were uh, promoted about me were just incredibly shocking. I mean, I, I mentioned them to people and at first they looked shocked and then they laugh a little. And I said, you know, it's really... Not that funny, because when somebody says something about you, like, oh, my gosh, you run a child trafficking ring or some ridiculous uh, uh, accusation, um, it, it does tear at the body politic. We could have some ridiculous accusation, like a child sex trafficking ring. Where would ridiculous, ridiculous accusations like that originate from? Surely it couldn't just be the politics of a presidential election. No, my friends. In fact, if we jump in the Wayback Machine, I take us to 2013. Over here, and we are following this breaking news out of Washington. Some serious allegations this morning facing the State Department. That's right. According to internal State Department memos, the agency might have called off or intervened an investigation into possibly illegal and inappropriate behavior within its ranks, allegedly to protect jobs and avoid scandals. This concerns the time that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. We want to get right to NBC's Chief White House Correspondent Chuck Todd with the latest. Chuck, good morning to you. Good morning, Savannah. You know, there's an old saying in Washington that the cover-up is worse than the crime. But in this case, both parts of it are disturbing. Allegations of prostitution and pedophilia and allegations that those crimes were somehow covered up or not looked into. So the State Department this morning... I wonder if maybe this could be the origin of some of these conspiracy theories. ...is having to respond to those claims and those investigations uh, of misconduct by State Department officials, including by an ambassador and... And security agents oh. attached to then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. I feel like security agents, Secret Service agents, and other security guards don't get enough credit when they come out and say, hey, this person that I spend a lot of time with, they're doing something. And the allegations are that these investigations were whitewashed, quashed altogether, and that those orders came from high up. Oh! NBC News has obtained documents related to ongoing investigations into some disturbing allegations involving State Department personnel and at least one ambassador. A State Department memo says the ambassador, quote, routinely ditched his protective security detail in order to solicit sexual favors from both prostitutes and minor children. The memo also says a top State Department official directed department investigators to, quote, cease the investigation into the ambassador's conduct. It's just one of what another document describes as, quote, several examples of undue influence from top state officials. On Monday, a State Department spokesperson did not confirm specific investigations. I'm not going to talk about specific cases, oh. but I can say broadly that the notion that we would not vigorously pursue criminal misconduct uh, in a case, uh, in any case, is preposterous. 
A former investigator for the department's inspector general has complained to Congress and the media that the investigations have not been thorough because of the pressure from those high-level officials. We take every allegation of misconduct seriously and we look into it. It was less than six months ago that another major internal investigation painted Hillary Clinton's State Department in a negative light. That scathing report on the failed diplomatic security procedures in the aftermath of the Benghazi attack. What difference at this point does, does it, it make? make? It is our job to figure out what happened. Yours, actually. As we noted, the whistleblower in this case, a member of the Inspector General investigative team at the State Department. An Investigator General member of the team. So somebody who would be in a position to know. She's gone to Congress demanding an investigation. And she has. So it's obviously uh, some sort of masochist attack. It's obviously the men hating Hillary because she's gone as a whistleblower. And it's our understanding Congressman Ed Royce, the leading Republican in House Foreign Relations, says he does plan on having an investigation and no doubt he Hearings are probably going to come soon. Actually, no, Chuck, sorry to say, uh, hearings never came. <laughs> we don't do that. She also made reference to Uranium One, only I think she might be onto something. And, uh, the first New York Times story came out about the server by Michael Schmidt and Matt Apuzo. Your team, according to Eric Wemple, the. Also, a little tidbit of information here. When the first story about her email server came out, her campaign staff totally destroyed the careers of the New York Times reporters. I don't think that's been talked about very much. Washington Post came to beatdowns with clubs. Uh, they, they really just shattered those guys' reputation, forced, uh, forced them backwards, and unapologetically so. Did they, did they protect you too much, and did they hit back too hard yes. at legitimate critics and questions? Yes. Well, let me answer that this way, Hugh. I think, um, as, I, as I say about the book, um, I did think... Uh, that I had to be careful in uh, public, and probably I did have my guard up too much. You know, those days are over. Uh, I am yes. trying to be as candid and open as I can be because I think there's a lot at stake, and if my voice uh, can help us get our country back on track where we begin to have, you know, reason-based uh, discussions about our differences again and try to chart a path forward that actually makes sense and can be supported by facts, I want to be part of that uh, debate. So I, I will take responsibility because clearly um, it is challenging when um, the press, and, and not just the press on the right, but the press in general, uh, decide that, uh, you know, my emails are the most important uh, story. Um, now let her get past her her bitterness over the coverage of her classified emails that were being sent over a private server in a basement. Let her get over that bitterness and listen to what she says about Uranium One and the comparison she makes. Uh, of the campaign, and, and that clearly uh, was uh, just pounded day after day after day. Uh, and, you know, I take responsibility for uh, the mistake I made, but it was a, uh, you know, it was a pretty overblown uh, scandal as far as scandals go. And then when there is a deliberate effort to you know, misinterpret facts, like the whole Uranium One uh, uh, charge, uh, you know, that, that is something that has been kept alive uh, despite constant debunking. Uh, similar to uh, the tragedy in Benghazi, where, uh, you know, I testified uh, at length. I answered every question. Uh, there was, uh, I think, eight or nine investigations, uh, more than half run by Republicans in the Congress, and they all came to the same conclusion that 
You know, I had not done anything wrong, um, and it was, you know, not uh, enough. And it became still a big political uh, drum uh, to beat against me. So what say you, um, chat room and Discord and listener on YouTube or somebody who wants to send in their feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact? Is Uranium One the new Benghazi for Hillary Clinton? Lots of mud, but nothing sticks. I don't know. That's kind of been my position, but I'd like to know what you guys think. She seems to think it is. Of course, that would be her position. Meanwhile, Maxine, she wants to inspire people. How? Oh, she wants to inspire people not just by reclaiming her time. Reclaiming my time. Which is her bit now. But she inspires them by demanding the impeachment of Donald Trump. I find this to be a fascinating little rift that is developing because for all intents and purposes, her and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all the other corporatist Democrats are all together. They're a pretty tight-knit group, except for when it comes to this one issue. Pelosi would like Waters to just shut the hell up about impeaching Donald Trump. Shut up. Shut up. Banks in this country. Um, Congresswoman, I, I want to ask you about the Glamour Magazine Women of the Year Awards. You were honored there yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. the other night. Oh, yeah. I congratulate you on that. Oh, yeah. That's uh, great. But I'm curious about your comments as well. You led a chant, Impeach 45, obviously talking yes. about uh, President Trump there. Yes. Uh, what do you hope to achieve with uh, w- with that kind of talk at this point? I mean, we have the Mueller investigation going on, but let's say for a moment that y- it ends up uh, incriminating the president in some way eventually. It doesn't seem t- to be wrapping up anytime soon. So why, you know, why spend your energy on, on calling for an impeachment, for example? Well, uh, let me just say this. I have learned uh, over the years that I've been in this business that there are few people who are willing uh, to speak truth to power and to talk about what really is bothering uh, our society and our democracy. Uh, It is not uh, thought well of to step outside of that box. When I talk about impeachment, I describe what I think about this president. I think he's deplorable. find himself in the campaign, the way that he mocked and mimicked uh, uh, a disabled journalist, the way he talked about grabbing women by their private parts, the way he called names of his peers, etc., etc. I think that's unacceptable. And for people to allow this kind of behavior to be normalized is beyond... I believe our democracy should be all about. And so I encourage people and I inspire people and I show people uh, that you don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be traditional. You need to step outside of the box and tell it like it is. That's what I do. Everywhere I go, I say impeach 45. I get people knowing and understanding. Perhaps they should be impeached and focused on what he's done and the way that he's defined himself, his relationship with Putin, who we we won't even criticize. And the fact that there's a belief that there has been collusion and obstruction of justice, it's all there. I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. Oh, Well, I know what to expect the next time. Yeah, yeah, and you're going to discredit the Democratic Party in the process because you look like fools. You can't call for impeachment until there's evidence that demands impeachment. Otherwise, you just look like a bunch of idiots that are out with a political agenda, and the American people can sniff that a million miles away. Maybe CNN sniffing the way things are blowing because uh, they actually asked a couple of 
poignant questions recently. Congressman, you issued a series of scathing tweets about the attorney general and about the president before, during and after uh, the congressional testimony yesterday by Attorney General Sessions. Uh, You attacked his appearance, mocked his look, saying he looked like Kate McKinnon, who plays him on SNL. But you also repeatedly called him a liar. Um, To prejudge his testimony, I mean, your tweets about him being a liar were before he even appeared uh, in front of you. Why is that appropriate? Why prejudge him? Because he lied to the U.S. Senate. After he made his statements, evidence came out later that showed his statements under oath to the U.S. Senate were, in fact, false. And by the way, I am choosing words that the President of the United States uses on his own Twitter. Oh, just like somebody's parent. You're so... Well, actually, that's not true. But doesn't he kind of have, like, this parental tone right now? He has this weird, like, I'm teaching him with his own medicine kind of tone, which is... um, Sort of the attitude of a schoolyard playground and not so much. Well, actually, nope. it's pretty much perfect for D.C. politics now they think about that. By the way, I am choosing words that the president of the United States uses on his own Twitter. I'm I understand that, but does right that make it the administration? But, OK, but does that make it right? I mean, do you like seeing the president use words like that, like <laughs> Lion Ted, so then you repeat them? Uh, I am absolutely highlighting it, and until the president changes, I'm going to keep doing it because Ooh, I do want to highlight. highlight how ridiculous it highlight is. Highlight it. Absolutely. Is it a... Is, is that a grown-up thing to do? <laughs> Congressman? I love that question. I love that question so much. Is that a grown-up thing to do, Congressman? <laughs> okay. Uh, producer Matt, if you're listening, I know it's a little early. If you're listening, Producer Matt, you've got to get me a clip of that. that. Somebody needs to isolate that out for me. Is that a grown-up thing to do, Congressman? So you remember when Michelle Obama had that beautiful line, right, uh, when they go low, we go high? Mm-hmm. My view is when they go low, we fight back, and I'm going to fight back. Well, there you go. When, when they go low, we stay low? <laughs> I'm fighting back. Yeah. I'm going to You're use tough the guy. president's own words against him, against a, his members of his administration. You're a tough guy, aren't you? I'm going to throw it right back at him. Absolutely. Is that what you would do? Yes, if he, if he calls I mean, people's names, I'm going to call people names. Oh, he's fired up now. Because I is think that, it's inappropriate for the president to do that. Inappropriate? He thinks it's inappropriate. Well, if he thinks it. Is that what you would teach your children to do? Is that what we should teach our children to do? <laughs> I teach my children they should stand up to bullies. The president of the United States is a bully. I am going to stand up to him. Absolutely. Oh, boom. Boom. That is, uh, that is an interesting and awkward conversation they just had. So you remember last week we covered the NSA leak, the big leak, the, the most devastating leak in history. Well, here's a little extra filler to that. A stream of leaks has the NSA on its heels tonight. Intelligence officials are blaming a secret group called Shadow Brokers for leaking complex codes used for hacking. Manila Chan is joining us tonight for more on this. This is intriguing. Yeah, and that's right. Perhaps it's low-hanging fruit, but now uh, it's problems within the NSA itself being blamed directly on Russia. Uh, One of the NSA's most top-secret groups called Tailored Access Operations, or TAU for short, served as the NSA's hacking arm for the better part of the last decade. They developed code and malware that would help the spy agency do its thing for years before is um i mean i'm 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 sorry to be this guy I shouldn't do this but is malware not code 
seems like malware and code would be the same thing if you're going to just be as general as code. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. King arm for the better part of the last decade. They developed code and malware. That- yeah, see, that's the same thing, really. If malware, guess what malware is made of? It's made of code. That would help the spy agency do its thing for years before Edward Snowden blew the doors off many secrets blew back in 2013. <laughs> and the slow drip became a flood in August of 2016 when a mysterious group calling themselves Shadow Brokers published the agency's most dangerous cyber weapons. But now, 15 months into a wide-sweeping investigation, the agency's counterintelligence arm known as Q Group, along with the FBI, still don't know if the agency was a victim of a brilliant hack or an internal leak. But still, officials are quick to blame Russia. NSA veteran and whistleblower Bill Binney shared some insight on the inner workings at the agency. Bring it to us, Bill. So Obama uh, basically opened up the gates of NSA data to all the other intelligence agencies, then only added thousands of more people that could look at the data, <laughs> which meant if there was a leak of any of that information, yeah. it would mean thousands of more people would have to be investigated. You know, that take the politics out of this. That's a fundamental truth. If you just give thousands of more people in the federal government access to this information, you're going to have more leaks. He knew that. He must have known that. Since 2015, only three employees have been arrested for taking classified information, but there is still fear that there are so-called plants or moles within the agency still working among the others. These hacking jobs, though, tend to draw young computer whizzes, but according to veteran employees, after the initial appeal of working as an agent wears off, these young hackers grow bitter from the bureaucracy (laughs) and often leave for (laughs) higher-paying private sector jobs in cybersecurity. Plus, they want to smoke a joint. Thus creating a revolving door and poor morale in the office. So, Ed, the more research I did about this hiring and firing process, the the constant turnover within the NSA, it became apparent to me that the problem the agency was facing was more of a human resources issue than anything else. But rather than resolve the problem within their internal agency, it might just be easier to just blame Russia and, and go on with the day. Well, in reality, they'll outsource is what they'll do. So think about this for a moment. Imagine Imagineer this for a moment. Picture it. Sicily, 1983. You're all excited. You know, you're, you're fresh out of school. Uh, you're going to get a pretty well-paying government job. It's not the best-paying job, but it's a government job. And, you know, you're, you're patriotic. You, you know, you're not overly patriotic, but you think, you know, America's kind of the best nation in the whole fucking world. Hoorah. And so you go in there and you're all you're all jacked up. You're jacked up on, on, on fucking America. You're jacked up on your new education. You're jacked up on the fact that you've got a cushy government job that's going to give you good medical. It's going to give you good retirement. You don't have to work super hard. And six months go by. Nine months go by. Eleven months go by. Eighteen months go by. And you realize it's a hellhole. You got to attend meetings every single day. You're looking at reports constantly. You're not really doing anything that matters. And you're seeing all these violations that you thought you were there to protect the Constitution. But man, it sure looks like we're violating the Constitution every single day. And people have no idea how bad it even is. They only have just a picture of it. I'm seeing all this stuff. And this just this just really seems like people ought to know about this. And this place isn't that great of a job, and I could make a lot more money somewhere else, and it clicks. That seems like that's actually a pretty realistic scenario. In fact, it seems like that's probably what happens all the damn time, right? 
So let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's go from uh, speculating about NSA leaks and let's go to the new branding campaign for the U.S.'s campaign in Afghanistan. No, no, no. It's not about the children this time. It's about the drugs. In an interview moments ago from Kabul, the top U.S. commander in Afghanistan announced a series of airstrikes on Taliban drug labs in northern Helmand province that he said were funding the Taliban insurgency. It was clear from listening to General Nicholson that the new strategy after 16 years of war is to brand the Taliban insurgency as a narco insurgency, perhaps as a way to sell the ongoing war. Yeah, you think? <laughs> you think? Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, you see, this is a bullshit story. This is, uh, we're going to break it down for you right now, but I think it'd be better to break it down if if we go with something that's a little more pure propaganda, NBC is all in on the new branding. For the first time, hitting the Taliban where it hurts, targeting the drug labs that double as money machines for the insurgency. F-22 stealth fighters and B-52 bombers drop 2,000-pound bombs to obliterate heroin refineries. Man, the media loves themselves some really high-end war machines, don't they? They just love weaponry. One cooking 50 barrels of drugs, according to the Pentagon. So these are huge warehouses. And uh, as you all know, huge warehouses just crop up out of nowhere, and you have the funding to have a warehouse like this just in your back pocket. And these things just materialize in a couple of days. We all know that to be true. And so what happened was, is our incredible intelligence apparatus and our Pentagon, who was on the ball all the time and perfectly communicating with that intelligence apparatus, within a couple of days of this giant warehouse and this huge operation with all of these barrels that just set up overnight, just set up overnight, guys. And within a couple of days, the Pentagon and the intelligence agents they communicated, they discovered it, and they destroyed it. And now we're going to the heart of what? I'm sorry, what? Oh, this shit's been going on for 12 years. Uh-huh. These guys have been in operation for years and years and years, and we've just been what? We've just been what? Oh. Oh. Oh, I see. So we've always known about this. Uh-huh. And we're just now, uh, oh. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The top commander in Afghanistan, General John Nicholson, says the airstrikes deep in Taliban territory were only the beginning. So now we're going to strike them in these areas, and then we're going to work with the Afghan army as they go on their offensive operations in the spring to expand control into these areas. Yeah, because nobody's going to control the drug market out of Afghanistan except for our CIA. Nobody. Yeah, this is definitely about rebranding the war effort in Afghanistan. And why might we want to do that? You know, like when Comcast got a lot of shit, they tried to rebrand Xfinity. It's a good tactic, really. The International Criminal Courts requested judicial authorization to investigate alleged war crimes committed during the war in Afghanistan. Oh, oh. Oh, maybe that's what this is about. But that could be difficult as Samira Khan investigates. The International Criminal Court is developing a case on alleged war crimes in Afghanistan and seeks a formal investigation. There is a reasonable basis to believe that war crimes and crimes against humanity have been committed in connection with the armed conflict in Afghanistan. The main focus of the ICC's case is the Taliban, the Afghan government and the U.S. military. As for the last of these, the prosecutor's office has revealed dozens of instances of torture and ill treatment allegedly carried out by U.S. forces. Members of U.S. armed forces appear to have subjected at least 61 detained persons to torture, cruel treatment, outrages upon personal dignity. One site notorious for abuse in Afghanistan is the CIA Salt Pit Prison, described by the media as a sadistic dungeon with barbaric conditions, where torture reigns with little oversight. 
While the evidence has been available to the public ever since secret CIA documents were declassified by the U.S. government. The CIA actually referred to it as enhanced interrogation techniques, which included sleep deprivation, isolation, cold showers, and rough treatment. But here's one case. All right, so there you get it. <clears throat> I don't think you have to listen to their montage. Um, we're about to get some shit for what's gone down in Afghanistan. So now it's time to rebrand our effort as a humanitarian effort for the whole world because solving the drug trade in Afghanistan solves it for the whole world. You know, we're really good at solving problems. We're really we're good at solving the world's problems from our perspective. Local issues, not so good at, you know, like things like lead in the water. You thought Flint, Michigan was bad? <laughs> Turns out it's way worse in a lot more places, a lot more. It's not just Flint, Michigan that's dealing with lead poisoning. More than 3,800 areas across the country have levels of lead poisoning that are at least double those seen in the height of Flint's crisis. Yeah, he said double. That's according to a new report by Reuters News Agency, which spent the last two years obtaining lead testing results for 34 states in the District of Columbia. The poisoning risk stems from old paint, leaded soil and water, as well as hazardous toys and health supplements. Health supplements is an interesting little one, isn't it? I know it could make you very sick and very ill. The data shows a number of children were exposed to lead. In about 1,300 hotspots, blood tests showed levels at least four times higher than those in Flint, Michigan. Uh-oh. Lead paint and leaded gasoline were phased out decades ago, but the poison was found in areas from Pennsylvania to Texas to Indiana. It's scary. It's scary for any mother to go through this. Any parent. Some of the highest levels of lead were found in children living in Savannah, Georgia, areas of Rutland, Vermont, and parts of Brooklyn, New York. So there was a huge outrage for Flint. Will there be a large outrage for everywhere else? I doubt it. I doubt it. There's a bit of outrage over the whole new tax reform. It resulted in the shouting match that uh, your good buddy and your good friend caught. Hey, gang, I have something to bring to your attention and uh, to our viewers' attention. It uh, happened this evening, and we have just received video. This was a, a, a dust-up uh, as part of the Senate Finance Committee tonight, their vote voting out of committee this tax bill. want to show you this exchange, that's a polite word for it, between Orrin Hatch of Utah, the senior Republican senator, president pro tem of the Senate, which, as you watch this, remember, puts him third in line to the presidency, and the Democrat of Ohio, Sherrod Brown, each one of them, as you'll hear, taking their side in the tax debate. Uh, but it was notable that this broke out the way it did tonight. We'll talk about it on the other side. I've been here working my whole stinking career. Stinking. For people who don't have a chance. And I really resent anybody saying that I'm just doing this for the rich. Give me a break. I think you guys overplay that all the time and it gets old. And oh. frankly, you ought, to, you ought to quit it. Mr. Chairman, the public oh, believes it. Just, I'm not through. Oh. I get kind of sick and tired of it. Uh, true, it's a nice political play. Well, Mr. But Chairman, it's not true. with all due oh. respect, I get sick and tired of the richest people Regular in order, country, Mr. Uh, Chairman. Getting richer and Regular richer order. And richer. Order. Regular order. Middle, we do attack Regular middle order. middle class trade. Regular order. And over and over wait, again. Wait How many times do we do this before we learn this? It's funny because he's arguing with the chairman. <laughs> That's never a good idea. Listen, I've honored you by allowing you to spout off here. <laughs> what you said was not right. That's all I'm saying. I come from the lower middle class originally. We didn't have anything. So don't 
spew that stuff on me. That's right. I get a little tired of that crap. <laughs> let me just say something. If you didn't, if we worked together, we could pull this country out of every every mess it's in, and we could do a lot of the things that you're talking about too. There you go. Uh, you know, they both knew the cameras were rolling. I think in that particular case, but a pretty good exchange, nonetheless. Now, here's a clip that really shows you how the elite, the, the elite really view this Russia investigation. They laugh at it. They know it's all a political witch hunt. But I just was thinking, you know, I should uh, want to ask you, is, is Ambassador Kislyak in the room? <laughs> the, uh, before I get started here. Yeah, this is Jeff Sessions. And yes, it's his audio that's too loud. It's not the clip. It's, I mean, it's the clip. It's the clip. It's not you. It's not me. It's the clip. It's him. He's shouting into his microphone. And this is Jeff Sessions at the Federalist Society, the law for law and public policy studies. And uh, he's cracking Russia jokes. And listen to the laughing here. The room? <laughs> the, uh, before I get started here. <laughs> Any Russians? Um, uh, they're laughing. Anybody been to Russia? <laughs> <laughs> they're laughing at it. They're la- it's a joke to them. It's a joke. Now, uh, <laughs> speaking of a joke, apparently uh, there's some that consider the president a joke. All right, new this morning, the Republican push for tax reform might be getting a key boost. From Alaska. Mm-hmm. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski says she does support including the repeal of the individual mandate of Obamacare in this bill. While her spokesman says it's not clear if she's made a decision on how she will vote, she is certainly seen as a crucial vote for Republicans who want to get their tax cuts through. Joining us now, Democratic Senator Tom Carper. He is on the Finance Committee. Thank you for joining us. So one of the Democrats on the Finance Committee was in a meeting, and they're all sitting around a table, you know, as they do, and they're talking about the tax reform. And I can just imagine how that conversation's going. And while Trump is in Asia, he decides to call in. This in itself is an interesting little glimpse into the actual job of the president. While he's off on a world trip, He calls in, goes on speakerphone, and goes into salesman mode for a policy plan. And I think that's one of the – it's an insight into one of the more genuine jobs of the president, what he really does behind the scenes. And this time, they weren't having it. To get their tax cuts through. Joining us now, Democratic Senator Tom Carper. He is on the Finance Committee. Thank you for joining us. Um, So you were part – good morning. Uh, You were part of this call with the president while he was in Asia on taxes. And at one point, it's reported that you looked over to his chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, and said to him, quote, we're not going to have a real conversation here. Can you just tell the president he's brilliant and say we're losing the connection and hang up? Seriously? I wonder why they had to say he's brilliant, too. Isn't that interesting? They're Democrats, remember. Seriously? And he did. And we've been having about a half an hour conversation with Gary, with uh, Mark Short and with Shahira Knight, the three people from, from the administration. We have a great conversation. They're asking questions about 10, 10 or more moderate uh, Democrats and trying to see if there's some kind of middle ground on tax uh, reform. About 30 minutes into the call, Gary gets up and takes a call on his cell phone, comes back into the room and he says, we have somebody calling in from Asia. And it was the president, which was nice. It's nice of him to do that. 15 minutes later, the president is still talking. 
And uh, mm. we, uh, I said to, to Gary, and it was a rumor. Uh, you can picture it, right? Trump's on the phone. He's on speakerphone, and he's just reading something that's been given to him. And he's just railroading the conversation, not giving them a chance to speak because he's pitching. He's selling. He's selling. And you just keep going. You hammer it. You hammer it. You hammer it. You all the good features. Don't don't let anybody get in there with what's wrong. Just keep going. Tell them why it's great. Say thank you guys so much and then hang up. And they didn't want to let that little power play happen. Fifteen minutes later, the president is still talking. And uh, mm. we uh, I said to, to Gary, and it was a rumor, uh, we're all sitting around this big square table. And I said, Gary, why don't you do this? Why don't you just... Take the phone from you know, your cell phone back and just say, Mr. President, you're brilliant. And, uh, but we're losing contact, and I think we're going to lose you now, so goodbye. And that's what he did, and he hung up. And then we went back to having the kind of conversation that we needed to, where they asked good questions, looking for consensus, looking for common ground. And we, I think we've identified. The CNN hosts look at each other and are literally un... I, I, I don't know, Discord, if you're watching the video version. Give a descriptor to that face right now. That is um, – so the male host is absolutely delighted and the female host is shocked that he's willing to say this on air because he's about to get in massive trouble. So this – not only does this reveal what the president's real job to us and how the Democrats can <laughs> basically still play him and say, you're brilliant, hang up on him and then go to tell everybody how – look how irrelevant he is. Hey, everybody, your president's a fool. So they go on air and they do that. And the CNN hosts are, 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 are just amazed that they're actually getting a legitimate news story. What you are about to witness is the fact that these two hosts can't believe they're actually getting real news out of this guy. And um, they're going to warn him even. You, you're, not, you're not supposed to give us real news. Went back to having the kind of conversation that we needed to where they ask good questions, looking for consensus, looking for common ground. And we, I think we've identified a little bit. That is his way of saying we got the real work done once we hung up on the president. That's the message of this interview. That's why he's willing to go on air and say this. But your CNN hosts here are so blown away by the fact they just got real honest information out of a politician that they completely missed that. Censors looking for common ground. And we I think we've identified a little bit. Are you sorry? Are you sorry that there Gary Cohn faked a bad connection to get the president off the phone? I'm sorry. Say again. Are you saying Gary Cohn faked a bad connection to get the president off the phone? Well, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but yes. I think you just did. <laughs> That's the bus. I think the bus just <laughs> the drove. Bus? Right the there. bus is passed. He wanted to make sure he could have that kind of conversation. And that's what we need to do. There's areas where we can agree All on right. stuff. But he All has right, to ask the right questions and be a good listener. Gary, go and call your office uh, right now because you might be getting a call from Florida shortly. Let me ask you, sir. Lisa Murkowski. Call your office. Call your office. Hmm. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny to see them like totally realize, oh, shit, we just got actual news. Now, uh, I watch a lot of news. I watch um, I watch a lot of U.S. news in particular. I really do. I watch a lot of U.S. news. But uh, as you saw earlier in the show, we're also watching other networks in other countries. Um, I'm often watching Chinese news. I'm always watching the BBC. And more and more these days, I'm getting news out of Australia. And uh, you saw that a little bit earlier in the show. And there was a moment when I was capturing Australian news that went down as my favorite political segue of all time. I've never seen this. I, I just love it. It's so much better than U.S. news. So I wanted to end the overtime with this. And a final, final <clears throat> observation on the same-sex uh, marriage debate from Bob Catter. I mean, you know, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. You know, I mean... Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned.
<laughs> but I ain't spending any time on it because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. <laughs> so we should put the whole country on hold until we sort out that particular problem. It makes problem. a very okay. compelling point. Politicians are the best in every situation they can manage to segue into their particular agenda. You gotta give them credit.